Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. You're about to embark on yet another great adventure with the Gary and Shannon Show. A reminder, we want you to make sure that you look at the iHeart app and hit the follow button on the Gary and Shannon Show podcast so that you can get updates on what's going on with our podcast. Don't forget to share it as well. Get it? It's adventure music. Also, share it on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you have that opportunity, and tell a friend about what you're listening to when you listen to The Gary and Shannon Show. We are in front of an audience. That's right, guys. There are eight people here that want to kill our show. Oops. Sorry, there's nine now. Oh, well, great. Would you like us to reintroduce ourselves? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would love that. Gary Hoffman. You know those little hairless boys crammed into skinny jeans, texting about their feelings with emojis? Shannon Farron. Wouldn't she be a great first lady? What the hell is this? Gary and Shannon. I will tell you, this is going to be something Play special. Nothing bad is supposed to happen on a Southwest flight. Tell me about it. I have a, I have a Southwest reservation coming up. Everybody does. We all fly Southwest. <clears throat> what, what's a, go, what the hell's going on in Philadelphia? One passenger had to be taken to the hospital uh, after the Southwest flight from LaGuardia made an emergency landing in Philly. I'm not quite sure where it was headed to. Dallas. But it was Dallas? Okay. So LaGuardia to Dallas, uh, a pit stop, shall we say, in uh, Philly after the starboard engine on that Southwest 737. Deci- no, sorry, that was the port engine. That's You're getting your... Uh, getting my port and my starboard messed up. You, can't you know how that. you remember that? Yes. Okay. Uh, I just didn't <laughs> at the time, but now I remember. How do you remember it? Because port... It's is a shorter short. word, just like left. That's mm-hmm. right. That's what I do. Why can't my headphones work? I see what you did there, right uh, there. Left. That's right. That was clever. I gotta. I gotta. You know, I gotta practice in the next thirty minutes before James Comey comes along. Anyway, this uh, engine on the left engine on the Southwest flight blew apart. The cowling came off. It looks like, and part of it hit one of the windows. Uh, the one that's just behind the wing and sucked a woman out dramatic or violent depressurization, whichever use that, whichever word they want to use. And this woman was being sucked out of the plane before people were able so, to pull her back in. Was this Amy? Do you know, was this a cruising at, at altitude or what part of the flight did this happen in? It was up. So it was going from New York, right? To yeah. Dallas. So it was up over Southern New York. So they didn't say. If it was at altitude, but um, somebody on board live posted and was saying something's wrong with the plane. We're going down emergency landing. Oh, hell. Yeah. Because that that part of the engine hit the window and starts sucking the woman out. The the guy next door holds her in. So that's how the plane loses the pressure. And then they're able to land it in Philly. Yeah. And Philadelphia's airport tweeted airport tweeted. The flight landed safely at PHL, and passengers are being brought into the terminal. <laughs> well, the, the vast majority of them just walked off the plane. You know basically. what I would do if I worked at a like an enterprise or a budget or a dollar or a Fox, never rent from them. Um, I would start jacking up the fares on those cars right now Search if I was at Philadelphia, because I'm not What's getting on you? another freaking plane after that just happens right. i'm driving the rest of the way to dallas but the other the other uh 
mentality would be, hey, it happened once. It ain't ever going to happen again. Mm. So I feel perfectly safe. Anyway, in the 11 o'clock hour, we're going to talk more about that because we're getting more information. And uh, we'll watch that video. If you haven't already seen it, we'll make sure that we post at least part of it up there so you can see from inside the airplane after this depressurization where no kidding, the uh, the oxygen masks came out. I don't think they were far enough into the flight to be at 30,000 feet, but they were on their way up. You know, e- even if they were at 10,000 feet, that's, that's a, terrifying. How about if they were at 50 feet? That's terrifying that the engine blows apart. How about the person who got almost sucked out of the plane? Talk about terrifying. Yeah, oh that, that she's hitting the rental car counter yeah. after the hospital trip. All right, former FBI director James Comey is going to join us coming up in about a half an hour or less than... And we're going to talk to him about things that were covered with George Stephanopoulos uh, and things that were not covered as well. I have some FBI questions I can't wait to ask him. Uh, I've got the entire transcript from the five-hour interview that he did with George Stephanopoulos. And people have been sending us what they believe are excerpts from the interview that are not excerpts from the interview. Yeah, there's Uh, a lot of fake news going on. Which is amazing because it doesn't take that long to figure out what's in the, in the, uh, the transcript and what isn't. Now, you could also make the argument, well, who's going to trust ABC to put all of the information? ABC has nothing to gain by lying to you about this. In fact, I thought it was uh, it's unusual, but highly respectable that they would take all five hours of that transcript and make it available to everyone. Yeah. So that we can all read it. Well, I think it was kind of done in a, a world where transparency is valued. And I think that ABC wanted to... Uh, put all of the fake news and all of the rumors that they would have edited or heavily redacted parts of it or whatever whatever you want to say and just say hey listen here's the whole interview take what you will from it yeah. you know there's so many different publications saying oh here are the five big takeaways here are the five big headlines well you read the whole thing and then make your own assumptions and here's one of the things that you you and I've had to do for 25 years is you got to take something that's a 5 hour interview i don't think i've ever done a 5 hour interview with anyone but even if you're doing a 10-minute interview with somebody, to then say... Whittle it down. Whittle it down to 60 seconds or you know a minute and a half or something like that. If you want to go through the, I think it's 80 pages, the 80-page transcript, do that and then say, I'm going to whittle this down to the best five pages of things that he says or questions and answers that are pertinent to what we're all talking about. The interview and the length of it was not unlike the length of Eric Garcetti's State of the City address yesterday. <laughs> Is he, he's done, though, right? I mean, it's over. I think so. Okay, just because I, I... Nick, do we know if he's done at City Hall talking? It's only been 23 hours. He might still be going, yeah. Yeah. I think the lights are off, everyone I, left, I think he's, he's got there. a couple more Angelinos to hit before yeah. he signs off. There's four homeless guys. He's doing that thing where you don't point, but you point with your thumb. Oh, that's The presidential thing. point. Yeah. He's working on that. That's called the uh, the Jeopardy thumb. Yeah. Where you've yes. got that little thing in your hand and you're pointing with it. Yes, it is. Yeah. The janitor's in there. But we start with a complete government failure on this <laughs> tax day, 2018. Oh, these poor people. The IRS electronic filing system broke down today. Experiencing several failures during the most critical day of the year for taxpayers. A number of systems are down, according to the IRS acting commissioner, David Cowder. He told lawmakers during a hearing today, we're working to resolve the issue. Taxpayers should continue to file as they normally would. They're going to attempt to reboot the system to resolve the problem. Yeah. Did you just turn it off and turn it back on? Dummies. 
This and it's worse that this is one of the areas where if you have to pay taxes, like you you've put it off until this day because you hate the idea of cutting yet another check to the government, and then you run up up to this roadblock. I am of the mentality where if I had to pay and I got this thing that says my direct pay is not working, please check back at another time. I would I would be violent. I would be just ripping up pages and pushing computers off of desks. I would be so mad. Wait a minute. First of all, you want me to pay and now you're telling me I have to wait to pay you because I because your computer is screwed up? And they're not going to be nice and say, hey, we've had issues, so maybe tomorrow you can check in or we'll extend the deadline an extra 12 hours or 24 hours or something like that. Oh, no, no, no. It's not the way they work. I'd like to see a violent Gary Hoffman. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Really? How often does that happen? Very rarely. What do I need to do to trigger Uh, an attack? Again, I don't think... I don't think that's a good idea. All right, let's get ready for the start asking me for my nuclear buttons. Let's start getting ready for the James Comey interview when we come back. We also have a chance to win $1,000 brought to you by Cunning Dental, by the way. Hello, Dr. C. Everybody there at uh, Cunning Dental, we went and checked them out yesterday. Cunning Dental for a free exam, 888-640-SMILE. Keep listening. We'll tell you how to win. Coming back. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Gary and Shannon. Okay, if I am 640, and your turn now to win $1,000. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword cash to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's cash to 200-200. Got to answer that phone. If you win, they'll give you a call, probably from a number you're not going to recognize. But if you don't answer, they're going to move on to somebody who will. So... If you don't win, you have another chance an hour from now. And, in fact, every hour through the first hour of the Conway Show, we're giving away 1000 bucks. So 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday right here on KFI. James Comey's book is what everyone's talking about today because James Comey is talking to everyone about it today. Uh, this is called A Higher Loyalty, Truth, Lies, and Leadership. Now, some of his um, uh, detractors, I guess you could call them, have claimed that this is all about him uh, self-aggrandizing and it's all about James Comey. And that may have been the reason why he kept interjecting himself into the Hillary Clinton email debacle, server debacle. And it's it's interesting that he chose a higher loyalty for the title of his book. Of course, going back to the conversation that he says he testified that he had with President Trump's when the president told him, according to James Comey, I need loyalty. Do I have your loyalty? So going and using that, those words in that uh, controversial conversation, as some would say, to sell books. Uh, we kind of had a problem with it yesterday when we were going through a lot of the big takeaways people were extracting from this book uh, who were reading it yesterday for the first time, that one of the major things was his description of the president on that first meeting. His tie was too long. His hair was very coiffed. Uh, his, he looked, appeared orange. He had the half-moon white circles under his eyes, probably from tanning beds. I don't know. It comes across wrong when it's the director of the FBI. Now, I know when you're writing a book, it's important to create word pictures and be very descriptive with your language. Um, and he was asked about that. 
this morning when he did some some interviews. He was asked, uh, why'd you have to go into descriptions like that? And he said, you know, I could hear my editor's voice in my head saying, take the reader with you into that room. And and I felt that uh, I should go, and I'm paraphrasing, that I, I should go into detail. Why? Because he was... Because he was only going to be a, it was a 13 chapter book and he needed 15 chapters. Here's the thing. It's important to create a word picture when the person's not there, right? When the person doesn't know what you're talking about. As a reporter, you're at a building fire, say, all right? And you're going live and you're saying to Amy King, oh my gosh, Amy, the, the flames are shooting out 10, 20 feet from the roof. Oh, and now they're coming out the windows and the firefighters are making their, because you want whoever's listening or reading to know what you're seeing. We all know what the president looks like. Well, and that's where I would say that's different because so much had been made about the hands, the tie, the the paunch, the hair. I mean, those were common refrains from people who didn't like the guy. Like that was a way for them to go criticize him. So so for, for Comey to put that into the book and to bring it up in the interview or at least uh, re- recount that in the interview, I just thought it was – Kind of bad taste. Like, well, we, it puts him it. into like, the box of people who rip on the low hanging fruit to take that take the low hanging fruit of he's orange, his ties too long, right. kind of thing. You know, there's there's a certain amount of people who they they're kind of lazy when it comes to ripping on this president, right? Because there's a, as we've detailed, there's a bunch of things, legitimate things that you can rip on that uh, actually matter. Uh, his tie length and the fact that he has an orange tint are not them. It's asked and answered. We're over that. Right. That was like the Trump uh, stuff you'd made fun of in the 90s. Like it's been done. Yeah. Literally decades of jokes have been made about the guy's hair. Right. So the the idea that I got a really close look at it. It appears to be all his. It must take a long time to comb that in the morning. Right. (laughs) Right. Sir, we've heard that joke a million times. I just wanted him to be above that. Yeah, as in, I mean, leave all the politics aside as a director of the FBI at one time in this country wanted him to be above it. Well, and I would have ex- I don't know. Expectation is not the right word. I would have um, I would have wanted that from a guy who has dedicated his life to law enforcement. And yeah. I'm more fascinated about the decision making processes that he goes into whether or not to charge uh, Hillary Clinton with some sort of bad information, you know, bad actions as a result of the email servers, uh, what what he would be doing. Brian Suits asked a great question. I plan to ask the uh, the former director here in just a few minutes. If Donald Trump had not fired him, would he today still be the director of the FBI? And if the answer is no, like if he was going to, if he says no, there's no way I would have done this. What about this president would have made him quit? What What does he know now that he didn't know the day that he was fired where he would have voluntarily left the administration said, I can't take it anymore. I'm out as I can't serve under this president. Right. I, I mean, because the FBI should be separate from the presidency and from the, the reach of the president. And he, I know that they're Comey says that all the time. And I know that they're very much entangled and they've been entangled. The FBI and the Oval Office for the history of the FBI and the Oval Office. But they're supposed to be separate operating systems. And it seems a little it just seems wrong if he's saying as a, the FBI director, no, I could never serve under someone like that. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, do your, do stay in your lane, do your job kind of a thing. Well, we'll let him oh, answer we'll, the we'll question because yeah. it's interesting. I mean, there's also a discussion about, you know, him criticizing President Obama and former Attorney General Loretta Lynch uh, for the way that they spoke up while this investigation was going on into Hillary Clinton's emails. 
Um, but there's plenty. There's a bunch that we're going to get to. Uh, former FBI Director James Comey scheduled to come on in just a few minutes. Have to say that because you never know what could happen between now and then. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Gary and Shannon on this Tuesday, April 17th. A lot of headlines, of course, over the last several days over former FBI Director James Comey's new book called A Higher Loyalty, Truth, Lies, and Leadership. And along with the big interview that he did on ABC on Sunday night, we've seen uh, the former director make the rounds on several different uh, news outlets. And he is uh, wonderful enough to join us today right here on the Gary and Shannon Show. Mr. Uh, Former Director, I'm not even sure which title I should use. Thanks for taking time for us today. Uh, It's great to be with you. Oh, how many of these interviews have you done? (laughs) Hundreds at this point? No, this is actually my first radio interview. I'm pretty excited. Wow. Oh, no, I did an NPR interview. Uh, They don't count. We don't count. They don't really count. That's why I forgot them. Uh, let's okay. Let's jump right into this because I know that we've you know everybody's been pouring over not just the transcript from the interview that you did with George Stephanopoulos, but with other interviews that you've done. And I'm going to start with this question, and it's from one of our co- uh, cohorts here on the on the station. If you had not been fired by President Trump as the director of the FBI, would you still be in that position today? Yes, I expect so. I intended to serve. For another six years, I especially thought it was important that I stay for his four years, first term as president. Because if you had been taking notes uh, on your interactions with the president at the White House, uh, phone calls, any conversations that you had, did you have concerns about him as president? Yes. I was concerned that he might not tell the truth if it ever became an issue about some of our encounters, which is why I wrote down what he said and what I said in a number of those encounters and safeguarded copies of those things. So, yes, but <clears throat> if I hadn't been fired, I didn't expect to be fired. I was in the great city of Los Angeles, as you may know, and, and was shocked that I was fired. I thought, I'm in charge of the Russia investigation. Even though my relationship with the president is not going to be a good one, I'm going to stay as FBI director. And then I was fired. It was a lengthy interview you did with George Stephanopoulos, uh, five and a half hours or so. And, of course, all the media outlets yesterday were rushing to take the five best takeaways. And I saw a number of them that started with this takeaway. It was your impression of the president upon your first meeting, president-elect at that time. And it, it wasn't the substance of the conversation that was the first takeaway. It was your description of him, uh, the tie too long, uh, orange tinge, you know, the, the, the 80s and 90s jokes about the Donald Trump that we, we have all heard. And it kind of it let me down a little bit because as FBI director, I just figured you to be above those kinds of, of descriptions. And I know when you're writing a book, it's very important to, to create a word picture and, and take people into the room with you. Were you upset that that was one of the main takeaways, the top five takeaways of the interview was your description of him? Yeah, not upset, frustrated, because it just tells me folks haven't read the book yet. If they read the book, they'll see I'm trying to be an author. I've never been that before. I'm trying to take the reader with me. And so I describe in another scene Barack Obama as much skinnier than I expected. I'm not attacking or making fun of Barack Obama. That's the way Donald Trump's face and skin and hair look to me. I'm not trying to make fun of him. I'm not even trying to make fun of his hands, which were above average in size. And so I'm not I'm trying to paint a picture. And if if folks read the book, which I really hope they will, they'll discover two things. The book's not about Donald Trump. And second, 
that kind of detail is offered in the stories throughout uh, the book, the stories I use to try and illustrate what good leadership should be and what I've learned about it from other people. You just said that the book is not about Donald Trump. How would you like this book to be described? It's a book about ethical leadership, and I hope very much, and I think it will be, that it will be useful to people, especially young people, to teachers and to parents, because everybody is in charge of somebody else, whether you're a parent or a boss. You need a picture of how you make hard decisions and what you should think about as you make hard decisions. And so I hope this book will be useful long beyond Donald Trump's presidency. He's in the book because I can't tell stories about ethical leadership without him because he illustrates it in a in kind of a reverse way. But he's in three chapters of the 14. And so I hope people will see it years from now as a book about ethical leadership that includes Barack Obama, George W. Bush, Hillary Clinton, uh, Donald Trump, Martha Stewart, and lots of other things. One of the moments that I like is when you are uh, obviously a man of incredible powers, director of the FBI, but you're sitting with the president-elect, who is a man of also incredible power, and he is asking for your loyalty. And I think we've all had uh, encounters in our lives where we've been in a, a power struggle situation where somebody's asking for something and, and you don't want to you don't want to give anything right and, and you wrote in the book about how you told yourself internally don't say a word don't make a move uh just 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 don't give in to anything in this moment yeah he was president then that was uh, the end of his first week as president we had that dinner that surprised me that it was us just one-on-one and i was shocked by the express demand for loyalty and so i couldn't think of anything to do other than just freeze don't even blink just stare at him and then eventually he looked down and i think we were on the shrimp scampi at that point and then he moved on and came back to it later uh outside of james comey uh i would be hard pressed for or i think a lot of people would be hard pressed to name any other director of the fbi uh at least in the last 40 or 50 years but because it's one of those jobs where you're outside of politics for the most part, you're not involved in the day-to-day uh, Washington swamp that that it sort of encircles what you do. And it seems in the last, say, two years, you've had everyone in Washington, Washington pissed off at you at one time or another. Is that a badge of honor or is that a sense of a source of frustration for you? Probably neither, just because to be in the FBI, you have to accept that you're going to be dragged into the middle of all kinds of difficult things. I would have much rather Hillary Clinton never have had a personal email server. It would have been great if Anthony Weiner had never had a laptop. But but we were stuck in the middle of these things, and I knew, actually at the time I figured half the political spectrum would be pissed at us. I had no idea that I could piss off both parts of the political spectrum, but we knew we were stuck in the middle of situations where there was no good answer. There's only bad and worse and so as between bad and worse, you got to choose bad, knowing that you're going to get hammered for it. And as strange as it sounds, that's kind of freeing. As my deputy director said when the Hillary Clinton email investigation came in, he looked at me and said, you know you're totally screwed, right? Yep. And I smiled and said, yep, nobody gets out alive. Yeah. But that's just the nature of the FBI. I used to tell the organization, look, we play our games on national television, and people are going to throw rocks at us. Okay. Just know that and know that your commitment has to be to something higher than that. You can't care what the political people are going to say about you. Uh, Along those lines, in reference to the Clinton email server, you told George Stephanopoulos that um, 
Anybody who's actually done investigations knows that if you've been investigating something for almost a year and you don't have a general sense of where it's likely to end up, you should be fired because you're incompetent. A lot of people have been pointing to that comment and saying that is an argument in favor of firing the special counsel in this uh, in the Russia investigation. I don't know why it would be. I mean, you, you don't necessarily share it with the world. I didn't share it with the world, the sense that I had. But if I'm an investigator like on, on Director Mueller's team, I probably have a good sense after a year as to where this is likely headed. I don't know what that is because we're on the outside and there are zero leaks out of the special prosecutor's operation. But, yeah, I would expect every prosecutor has done this kind of work or investigator knows after a year of investigation, you know where it's going to head. It might head someplace else and your mind is open to that. But you're a dummy if you don't have a sense, general sense of where it's headed. About those lengthy investigations and the rocks that people are wanting to throw at the FBI, uh, we have done that on this show. Uh, I know I have. Uh, when you look at the case of the, the Pulse nightclub shooter, mm-hmm. the FBI investigated him for 10 months, I believe, at one time. Uh, there were two tips that came into FBI centers about the shooter in Florida, the school shooter. I don't like to name names. Yep, uh, there was the man that killed eight people in Fort Lauderdale, the airport, two months before. He walked into an FBI office in Alaska with a loaded gun magazine reporting that he was having terrorist thoughts. Uh, these three cases, and I know that there are more were not stopped. And some have said that they were preventable because the FBI was on notice. Uh, Is that unfair criticism? I don't think so in general. I mean, each of the cases will turn out to be different, but I, and sometimes the facts aren't from the, in, in the inside what people think they are, but the criticism is legitimate and reasonable. And I used to say that to the FBI workforce, look, we have to be perfect. We run down literally tens of thousands of tips a year that's a lot. Okay, we're a big organization. We have a huge burden, but we also have a sworn duty to the American people to try to be perfect. And where we're not, it's okay to criticize, and we should be criticized. And most of all, we should internalize that criticism and say, okay, so how can I be better? What did I miss? How could I be better? And, and you know, the, the Charleston Church shooting is an example that you didn't mention, but that was an example where the FBI made a mistake, and as because of that mistake, that killer, and I agree with you, I don't name these these savages' names, that killer got a gun he shouldn't have gotten. That's incredibly painful. But there's two things we needed to do in the wake of that. Be transparent. Tell the American people, look, here's what we did. Here's how we screwed up. And then figure out, so how does that never happen again? So to answer your question, your criticism is totally appropriate and actually makes us healthier. All right. Well, uh, former director uh, James Comey, we appreciate your time today. I know you have a, a million and a half of these things to do over the next couple of days. Well, it's a pleasure. A great conversation. Thanks for your questions. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Uh, all right. There you go. Former director of the FBI, James Comey. The new book is called A Higher Loyalty, Truth, Lies, and Leadership. We'll come back in just a few minutes and talk more about uh, about the answers that we got. Gary uh, and the Shannon, questions. KFI AM Shannon. Well, he was nice. I didn't get a chance to ask him if his family still talks to him. I wanted to ask him about that because he's on the record saying, I believe his wife and daughters were Hillary fans, Hillary supporters, or they voted for her. And uh, I want to know if they've had that conversation with him or if he still feels that um, uh, 
I don't know if they had anger towards him or anger over the email server situation because there was been a number of polls that have shown that when he came back out and reopened the investigation, it did have a very big impact on her failure to to, to win that campaign. Um, and I just wonder if they if he had family members that had conversations with him about that, you know, because people blame him on on the left side of the aisle for this for the well, for the Trump victory. And the, I mean, he Some even degree. said. I, a lot of people read into his comments that he acted that way. Remember, he came out the five days before the election and talked about the um, uh, the email that he found on Anthony Weiner's uh, computer that had at least relevance to the case of the email server. And he said that he did that under the assumption that Hillary Clinton was going to win the presidency and that if he hid that – I mean, I knew, it may be tortured logic, but if he hid that – the moment that she was elected, she would become uh, the. It'd be tainted. It'd be a tainted presidency. Yeah. She'd be an illegitimate president at that point because the FBI was hiding information about right. what was going on. Right. It that, was a lose lose, as he said. And, and I look, he I hate the idea that he uh, gave information to a uh, to a professor who then leaked it to the to the media. That's that to me is is despicable. But there are other things that plenty of other people have done that are despicable that that other people want to ignore and not not remember. Let let's keep this all in context as well. This is a guy trying to sell a book. Okay, this is a guy who pretend I don't know how much he made up front for whatever book he would you know for the book that he wrote, but I would imagine it's high six figures if not more in terms of what he was going to be able to put in it and. His point that there's 14 chapters in the book. There are 14 chapters in the book. Three of them deal with his interactions with President Trump. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind as well. That's all anyone wants to talk about right now because of how interesting and scintillating it is to hear his, in, you know, his uh, in-depth there would, conversations. There would be no book. There would be zero book. There would book. be no book because, like you said, it's a lot of people would be hard-pressed to name FBI directors past. Um, but <laughs> with this— yeah, Outside of reason, J. Edgar Hoover, can you the, name the, one? The, the reason that James, uh, that James Comey is in the news and has a book and is doing all these interviews is because of, of Donald Trump. Uh, and that's and that's kind of uh, interesting, isn't it? You know, when especially when he's talking about how to be ethical and all and all that, and yet using this guy, I guess, in in a way, to uh, to make some money. It's. Um, but what are you going to do? You know, what's he? Could he go back to a U.S. attorney's office or something? I mean, he's only fifty-seven. What's he going to do? I guess I guess he could just be, uh, you know, a. a, a talking head who said freaking george petraeus on ktla this morning he's aged you see that the general yeah i didn't even i didn't recognize who that was yeah i mean I, you knew the face, face. yeah, yeah you're I like i know that was. Yeah. that's a good one um the uh the story though about him being hated universally i think is a little overblown i mean i i referred to the in the question asking you know, everybody in Washington is pissed off at you at some point over the last two years. Is that a badge of honor or is that a thing? And he just said, listen, it's my job. It's yeah. I knew going into it. I knew getting into the FBI. I knew as I would rise up the ranks that that's just the way it was going to be is that rocks would be thrown at me. And that's part of the ethical thing, too. It's the it's not a popularity contest. It's uh, a higher loyalty, I guess you could say. Hey, that would be the name of a book, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, but I also I would like. I would like to find someone who says that his example of what to do is 
the highest example. To be in a, a, a good guy in a bad situation, knowing that that is going to taint your record forever. Whether or not he was a good guy in a bad situation or a bad guy in a bad situation. Because a lot of people already just write this guy off and say what he did was inexcusable. He never should have been taking notes. He hated this president going in, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and are completely discounting anything he has to say as a result of that. Coming up next, Eric Garcetti is still doing his State of the City address. He's still up there. Poor guy. He's Yeah, there's just four homeless people he hasn't talked about yet. God, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? He spent the, a large portion of his massive State of the City address yesterday talking about homelessness as he has spent a long time of his term doing his plan for homelessness when we come back. See, he is still going. He is still going. You're right. How we empower and bring a city together. Gosh, he is a uh, energetic little guy. He's like the little bunny. Of division, and uh, energizer bunny. Right after this. Going and going. And this is why, this is why the great This is why we're fighting the foot when no kids are we have our eye on this Southwest flight that made an emergency landing with that engine damaged. Uh, one passenger taken to the hospital there in Philadelphia on the flight from LaGuardia to Dallas. A shrapnel from one of the engines reportedly hitting the window. woman was said to be sucked through the window, uh, at least to some extent. Uh, passengers pulling her back in. The masks dropped the whole bit uh, on an emergency landing there in Philadelphia. I have a question. Yes, sir. I know we'll get into this a little bit later, but assuming that the woman is sitting in her seat Mm -hmm. and she's in the window seat, Mm -hmm. right? Her head and neck and shoulders are what's going to be pulled out of the plane. Yeah. So if they're at speed or 500 miles an hour, uh, at whatever altitude they are, and she's just I don't know. banged up against the side of that I don't, plane. I don't know because I, it, it would it would had to have happened real quick, like <laughs> you know what I mean. I mean, it's not like the guy next to her, or girl next to her, would have time to react no, to th- that quickly. Assuming that she's belted in, right? Why is this funny? Why are we laughing at this? I think I didn't need to make that noise. I think that's what the problem is. I didn't need to make the noise of the woman being sucked out of the plane. We We don't even know how she's doing. Right, and it was so loud in there, I don't think we could actually have heard the noise. Anyway, she's assuming that she's belted into her seat, I can understand, like, partially getting... Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe Maybe you put your shoulder into it, and it's just the shoulder that comes out. And her arms get sucked out or something like that? No, 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 just the shoulder, like this. Just the shoulder. Uh, It's... uh, we're going to get more information. She has been taken to the hospital. They haven't said anything about her condition, which I can only imagine is bad. I have breaking, and, breaking news. Oh, hold on. And they said that there was blood everywhere. Did they? Yeah. Oh, that's that's so that's also bad. That's I, I've, I've seen a picture of the window itself, and I, you can't see any blood on the window no. or anything. But it. So it may, but it's dark around the outside. So maybe you, I don't know. That's. Oh my! Yay! God. Can't wait to take right. my flight on Saturday. Yeah, this is all you're going to think about. No, it's not. Especially when it gets bumpy over the mountains no, there. I'll fall asleep. All right. Want to hear my breaking news? Bring it. It's from Rebecca Jarvis. This just in. Starbucks to close all stores nationwide Uh-oh. for racial bias education, May 29th. Wow. There will be no Starbucks open. On May 29th, 
Let that sink in. Now, Kevin Johnson is the CEO of Starbucks, and he set up a meeting with a couple of guys in Philly. You may have seen this video where uh, last week two black guys were arrested while waiting inside a Starbucks for a friend of theirs. The manager of that Starbucks eventually called the police because these guys were sitting there without drinking any coffee. And after the the manager asked them to leave, they said they wouldn't leave. They're waiting for somebody. They're waiting for a friend who was going to come and, I guess, sit down and buy them coffee. The video is pretty interesting because it's got the police officers who are everybody seems not pleasant is probably not the right word. Everybody's calm. And even the guy who shows up, this friend who shows up in Philly to hang out with these two guys, even he's asking, what what did they do wrong? Why are, Why is this even happening? Is it because they're black? Same thing happens in Torrance. Slightly different, but while everybody's been watching that video, there's another video that shows up uh, from a Starbucks in Torrance. Back on January 23rd, he says he walked into a Starbucks there, asked if he could have the code to get into the restroom, and the manager said, you have to buy something before we can give you the code. That has happened to me several times. That they tell you that. you got to buy, buy something. something. I mean, not several times, at least twice or three times when I would go out walking in my old neighborhood. And I know the Starbucks has a bathroom, right? And so I'd go in and use the bathroom. And at one point, they put in a policy where you can't do that. You have to buy something because there's a number of homeless people in the area as sure. well. Uh, and so I was told a number of times. You got to do that. Got to buy something. Well, in this case, Brandon Ward says he asked for the code, was told he has to buy something. So apparently gets in line to buy something. Another customer walks up, uh, a customer finger quotes because we don't know if he bought anything. White guy walks up and says, I need the code. And they give him the code. And he goes in the bathroom. Same employee, huh? So Brand, yeah, and Brandon starts recording the interaction at that point because he says, "Hold on a second. Yeah, why didn't you give me the code? Why did Why did you not tell him he's got to buy something? Is yeah. it because I'm black?" So Starbucks, how many stores does Starbucks have? Um, about eight. Uh, I'm not sure. It eight, about ten thousand. About ten thousand. Um, now they say they're just going to be closing on the afternoon, so you'll no, no. still. 20, well, I don't know if this is each individual individual store, but they have 27,000 locations. Let's see here. Uh, Starbucks Coffee Company that I'm reading now from the press release announced it will be closing its more than 8,000 company-owned stores. Got it. Um, in the United States on the afternoon of May 29th to uh, conduct racial bias education. Um, I wonder if they're looking for uh, for bids on... That education class. No, you know what? They're that would be great. I would. I would like to get in there. I would put, and I would say, listen, we will go. We will go below whatever. I'll do it for half their lowest bid. Here's what this is. This is not Starbucks caring about racial bias education. This is the PR move to get that story out of the news. It ain't gonna happen. No. An afternoon of racial bias education does not take away what happened. And you know what? What happened in those Starbucks stores has nothing to do with Starbucks, I bet. No, no. It just has to do with personal bias. It's individual. Yes. And I think what they're what they have to do is say, listen, if you have these biases in your head, we don't want you to bring them to work. Yeah, but that's very hard to do. You can't separate yourself. A lot of the times. 
Although, you know, there there's a lot of research that says you can separate your beliefs from your behavior. Sure. You know, you can still have that bias in your head and not act on it. Uh, the 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 interesting thing I think is going to be the ninety nine point nine percent of people who work at Starbucks who are going to fold their arms across their chest and roll their eyes and say, "I can't believe it." Two people, two people made boneheaded decisions and ended up costing the rest of the company that you know. And Grant, look, it's a, it's an afternoon. It's a couple of hours of awkward conversation, but it's a pain in the butt. It is a pain in the butt because the simple thing is, all you have to do is is. All 8,000 baristas and managers and whoever else is involved in this and just say, don't be a D to anyone, regardless of why you want to be a D to them. Just don't. I bet that bathroom policy goes away. Uh, Not necessarily. I think they still have a. See, that's the thing is that's the the bathroom policy at the root of it. to, To me, I love it. I love that bathroom policy. I don't mind spending a buck. 80 for a black coffee. You can't coffee. get anything at Starbucks for a buck 80. Tall drip in my own glass? Oh, really? Put it in my hands. Put it in my hand. <laughs> Tall drip. I see it in my mouth. Tall drip. I don't need the cup. I'll Just put, put it right here. Under the machine. I like it hot. But a buck 80 to use a clean bathroom? Uh, that Come on. That's a that's a good deal. As weird as that sounds. I don't know. I don't like that. I think that all bathrooms should be free. Okay. I'm a, uh, I'm a socialist when it I'll comes you to what. bathrooms. You know why? You line up on that you bathroom. You didn't spend as much time in the street as a reporter as I did. That is not true. Yes, it is. I, I did. did more years in the street than you did. Okay, then then that's my, that you're making my so argument. Wrong. I, I did more years in the street. You're making my argument. Isn't it better to have a clean bathroom? Or do you want I to don't just care. share the one that everybody else is I don't, using? I don't care. I just want a bathroom that I can get into without paying money to do so. I, I support kick, bathroom kick socialism. Kick the syringes off the floor. That's fine. Wipe down the seat with some industrial strength you anything. You just hover. You hover. Okay. Keep it up. You're going to have massive quads by the end of the t- All right. Have you seen my quads? No. Eric Arsetti, when we come back. Also, your chance to win $1,000 coming up. Brought to you by Cunning Dental. You need dental implant. Stop rolling up your pant leg. <laughs> Call Cunning Dental for a free exam. Triple eight six forty smile. That's coming up next. Are you just gonna sit on that over there? Or you you want to give it away? I just. It's getting a kind of gamey over there. It's warm, is what it yeah. is. Yeah. $1,000. You're shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword LUCK to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's LUCK to 200-200. Also answer the phone. That's not all you got. You got to answer the phone, and they'll say, you went $1,000. You go, oh, my gosh, I did? And, yes, that's the, But if you don't answer the phone, you don't get to have that great conversation, and they'll move on to somebody who will. Your next chance to win $1,000 is one hour from now, as a matter of fact, and then all the way through the John and Ken show from 5A to 7P. We've given away $1,000 an hour. We've been telling you all morning about that emergency landing in Philadelphia for the Southwest plane, not your typical emergency landing where all is okay. Maybe a light went on, maybe uh, 
something didn't look right in the cockpit. No, 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 no. Uh, part of the engine came off of this Southwest plane and shrapnel hit one of the windows. A passenger in there was partially sucked out of the plane. Uh, masks went down. They had to uh, emergency land that in Philadelphia on their way to Dallas from LaGuardia. There is going to be an update from officials uh, on what happened there. Uh, and we will uh, we'll take that live, huh? I hope so. Well, we could just. What do you mean, hope so? I don't know if we're going to be able to get it, but we're trying. You don't think so? We're going to try to do it. Um, it's going to be right there. It was uh, almost an hour ago now. Seems like it was so long ago. We interviewed James Comey. He's the former director of the FBI. Did you know that? Yeah. Where would you put that interview up with, uh, you know, Anthony Weiner? Um, well, who's in in terms of the person? John Bolton. John I didn't, Bolton. I didn't feel like John, uh, like Jim Comey, was as full of himself as Anthony Weiner was. No, I thought James Comey came across. Everyone's going to hate me for saying this. Oh, boy. Here, here it comes. comes. Yeah, somebody... I thought he came across oh. likable. Whoa, 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 whoa. I know. Stop doing that. <laughs> All you're doing is adding fuel to the fire. All you got to do, by the way, is go on to our uh, Facebook feed or Twitter, and you, you'll see how absolutely horribly we failed at that interview. Well, I don't think that's true. I no, think we that failed. for some people, no matter what he says, his existence is, is bothersome. There's some people who are just going to want to believe and see see things through the prism that they're going to want to see things through. It's like you and let me ask you. Let me in the the giants. In the I mean, you looked at that season last year and you still had a good time because you wanted to. You didn't have a good time, but in your head, you're like, I'm damned to have a good time watching the Giants play baseball this year. You got to bring it home, don't you? Let me ask you this in this context, and yes. I, I don't remember if we've actually asked this question out loud before or not. But somebody said, why would anyone want to hear narcissist Comey or believe anything that he says? Okay, beyond the fact that he is a, he is a like him or not, he's making headlines around the world. He's the former director of the FBI. The FBI! That alone, yes, especially because the FBI has been so central to so many of these attacks that we've had in recent years, and we talked to him about that as well. I loved your Uh, question about that. Just just that aside, we talked to him. But this is the guy who many blame for Hillary Clinton not being elected. Yeah, so if you're a Hillary supporter, you hate Jim Comey. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is somebody whose name has been consistently in the news for, what, 18 months, if not more? Of course we're going to interview him. Oh, wait, don't forget, if you love Donald Trump, you hate Jim Comey. I will say this, though, and this is where we disagree, I believe. Oh, if you don't like tall people, you hate Jim Comey. We will always interview newsmakers, people that that are in the headlines. Well, that's going to lead me to a question. Except for O.J. Simpson. You would interview O.J. Simpson. I would not. Um, I think we've I, had that conversation. I, yes, but but it's because I feel like... And this is not the way to go about doing this. <laughs> I like, by the way, that I just equated uh, James Comey and O.J. Simpson. Right. I, I'm People sure should love somewhere that. <laughs> someone's going to get back to him like that. Uh, Mr. Director, the, because the reason I would want to interview O.J. Simpson is the same reason I've had conversations with my teenage son. Because I believe I could change his mind. Okay, so now you're comparing O.J. Simpson to your kid. No, I'm comparing a delusional, broken man to a teenage boy. Got it. Not that, but see, but I have 
I have hope that a teenage boy can grow out of it, right? Your, your brain is mush until a certain age, whatever that, that is. Prefrontal 19, 20, cortex 20. is right. still developing. His is gone. Yeah, my point, point, pointing to OJ. His is gone, not only because he's a complete psychopath, but for all the football he played. His brain is, is gone. He d- does not make sense. But there's a part of me that believes I could change his mind and 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 prove to him. Yeah. And in the context of him sitting here and me just staring at him, he would break down and say, you're right. I am a horrible human yeah. being and I need to repent for what I've done. I know it won't happen, but I could be wishful. Let me ask this question. If producer Nick came into us and he says, listen, guys, Michael Avenatti just called me. Stormy Daniels is going to be in Burbank tomorrow. Of course she is. And and then he makes a joke and he's like, More specifically, Burbank, North Burbank, Hollywood. Burbank is going to be in Stormy. Never mind. Um, <laughs> and he says, would you guys want her on? Do we both sitcom style scream out yes and no at the same time? How do you answer that? Stormy Daniels. Again, I don't headliner. find her as interesting as I find James Comey. Go on. Well, he has had a career as a U.S. attorney. He, um, you know, he he was leading the FBI. Um, he had an audience with the president that resulted from, well, I guess they both had an they audience had with, an the audience with the president that resulted in a lot of controversy. Mm-hmm. I don't find her interesting aside from what I've already heard from her, I guess. I also don't know how I feel. About her being in studio, you know, I don't, I don't know how if I could protect you. Did you see the, the protect sketch? me? Well, I don't know what she's capable. of. <laughs> Did you see the uh, uh, sketch of her of the man who allegedly threatened her in 2011 yeah. with with that whole uh, yeah. go away? They finally released it today. That's a good looking man. Whoever that sketch is about, she did say he was fit. Yeah, yeah, and a Thin, good, a good, lean, good face on fit. that guy. 30s to early 40s, five five nine to six foot tall. Looks exactly like Tom Brady. I'd say he looks better than Tom Brady. Oh, really? Tom Brady's got a bit of a horse face. Oh. He's a very talented uh, athlete. That's what I'm supposed to but say. I don't look fine. who's talking. <laughs> really? No, but, I mean, it was an easy one. We set that up. Never mind. Feel free to blast us for our James Comey interview. We may even play it a little bit later so that everybody can blast us for it. We appreciate it. Um, when we come back... Do you want to do the Garcetti thing? We haven't gotten to that yet. Let's do that. Because um, he's still doing his state of the state of state of the city address. All right, we'll touch on I that. Checked in because it's still going on. All right, yeah. we have so much to get to. I just don't like us. Uh, I don't like us not getting to everything. I know it's tough. I apologize. All right, I guess Very there's always tomorrow. We'll continue. No matter what we breed, we still are made of greed. This is my kingdom come. This is my kingdom. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. We are awaiting an update from Philadelphia on that emergency landing by the Southwest jet. One of the window breaks mid-flight because part of the uh, engine shattered it. The term woman got sucked out. 
Almost. Is it Nacelle? Did anybody know how to pronounce that? N-A-C-L? You know who we should call? N-A-C-E-L-L? Your friend that's a pilot. He doesn't fly for Southwest. It doesn't matter. He mm. could tell us. What you know, that's called? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you want me to see if he's around? Yeah. Let's see if he's around. We never get him on the program. I know. Well, I don't know if he wants to. Well, text him. <laughs> He'd answer every question like this. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I see you right here on the left side of the airplane. That's exactly why I want to have him on. Oh. <laughs> Eric Garcetti yesterday spent an hour, no, it was longer than an hour, seven and a half hours doing his State of the City address where he mentioned the word Angelinos 18 times. He said at one point. 30, 31. 30, 31. 31, yeah. Oh, for the love of a homeless God. homeless 27 times. In fact, let me check and see if he's saying it right now. Still, there are Angelinos oh, like so yeah. are working hard. This is a, that's a good. Now that is a good, good drinking timing. game, and you're going to have to drink to get through that state of the city address because it is dry. At one point, he said this, and I think that this statement is so important because I think it's why the Democrats were so shocked that they lost the presidential election. I think. That they were shocked and that they remain, to an extent, tone deaf with this line of thinking. He said yesterday, quote, I want to say to anyone who wants to understand who Americans are, don't look to D.C., come to L.A. Now, if you ask anyone who's in America, who's not on the coasts, what America and Americans are, it's certainly not D.C. and it's certainly not Los Angeles. And if you take that line of thinking, if he really believes that, you know, and L.A. is a great microcosm of the country, um, if he takes that with him back to Iowa, to New Hampshire, to South Carolina. They're going to poop on him. Yes. And that, But see, that's that's part of what the, I think that was an eye opener for a lot of people. November 9th, 2016. Wait a minute. You mean there are people who like Donald Trump? Yeah, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people who don't live in San Francisco, Washington, New York, L.A., who have a whole lot different ideas than you do about the way this country should go and how it should work. Plus, a lot of those people were pissed off that they felt like they were being ignored. And as we've seen, one of the worst things you can do to any population is to treat them poorly or ignore them because they will rise up and they'll they'll make war. I mean, they'll find a way to fight back. So it's it's a tone deafness of his that is not going to serve him well going forward. He spent a lot of time talking about homelessness. And he talked about committing 20 million, as the L.A. Times writes it, Garcetti announced that he would commit $20 million for emergency shelters. All right, L.A. Times, slow your roll. Garcetti's not committing $20 million. He no. is uh, he's committing the city's money. You want to go live to this? Yeah, this is the uh, the Southwest Airlines flight that had to make an emergency landing in Philly. We believe it will be a relatively short period of time. Uh, again, our law enforcement partners are conducting interviews. That's entirely standard in an incident of this nature. Uh, our goal, as well as the airline's goal, is to. Uh, get those passengers on their way. We know they've had a tough day. So that really is what Southwest is working on right now, is getting through that and getting those passengers uh, getting those passengers on their way. Again, I want to say uh, thank you 
to the other airlines here, and everybody's really uh, banded together to take care of those folks uh, while they're in transit here in Philadelphia. I can say that the aircraft did experience some damage. What part of the aircraft experienced the damage? The beginning, the tail, the parts? The fuselage and parts of the wings. Have you seen the pictures on social media we're talking about, Commissioner? I have. I have. So that is the aircraft that you see on the news and on social media is the aircraft that was involved in this incident. Not going to get much from this guy. No, we can't. It really, it really is too early to tell. I mean, that is why the NTSB has a team on the way here. Aircraft, as you can imagine, are complex pieces of machinery. Uh, I have to say as well that the flight crew did an incredible job uh, getting this aircraft here on the ground. Uh, any other questions about how this incident occurred and the status of the aircraft really uh, we'll have to wait for the NTSB. Yeah, what happened here is that uh, reporters flocked to the scene with a with an with a situation like this, and they got to put somebody minor, in front of the microphone to say we can't say anything at this point. Yeah, I actually don't know the uh, demographics of the crew. All right, that's enough. Uh, he's not going to have a whole lot to say. the The one thing we do know about there is one passenger in critical condition after this uh, this engine blew up on a southwest 737 from laguardia to dallas and then had to make an emergency landing in philly the it, it appears that that one woman uh who is in critical condition there were seven others that had minor injuries but that one woman was seated next to the window i mean that's the only logical thing is that she was seated next to the window that blew out when shrapnel from this exploding engine hit the outside of the airplane directly at her window. So uh, like that police commissioner there said in Philadelphia, it's going to be the National Transportation Safety Board that's really going to have information about what possibly led to the uh, the failure of that engine and, you know, what sort of conditions this woman experienced. It's just hellish to think about the idea of having yeah. been half sucked out of a plane yeah. and – the damage that that alone can do to your body. One in critical condition, uh, seven more with minor injuries. We will stay on all the details as they come out and bring them to you. Uh, coming up next, let's get back into Garcetti. I just wanted to touch on uh, one of the reasons why he is so obsessed with homelessness and how that's connected possibly to a potential presidential run. Listen, he's still going. Like Councilmember Rodriguez has done with her good neighbor policy in the mm, North Valley. I love the good neighbor We're policy. We're going on Second, 25 hours and 42 minutes for the State of the City address. It's a lot of bottled water. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon. We'll get into uh, some trending stories at the top of the hour. And also, uh, one we didn't get to, uh, a very strange but ongoing search for personal treasures from the Montecito mudslide. There's still, I still see trucks, even on our highways down here, uh, that have the Army Corps of Engineers sticker on the side of it yeah. that shows that they're still hauling stuff out of there. There are a number of items uh, that have not been claimed that are clearly very important family heirlooms. Uh, so we'll talk about that. 
I just wanted to touch on on Garcetti and uh, um, his obsession with the homelessness problem, which I understand he should be obsessed with the homelessness problem here in Los Angeles, because if you have not seen Skid Row, it is no longer Skid Row. It is Skid Grid. It is a grid of city blocks that have been taken over by a tent city has already stepped up my gosh your council president herb weston has identified you know you can't say he doesn't have stamina no he's still got it new temporary must work out i think you'll hear a little bit more about it this week and those people who are those have they brought in new people they must have restarted it could be a laugh track or a clap track (laughs) clap track well like a crap shack yes as you know proposition hhh was that 1.2 billion dollar voter-backed bond to build housing for homelessness. Um, That money has not been touched because people can't figure out how to spend it. There's too many cooks in the kitchen. But yet Eric Garcetti announces he's going to commit this $20 million of of taxpayer money to emergency shelters. Um, Also going to put nearly $430 million toward the crisis within the next fiscal year. Yes, that does include... The two hundred thirty-eight million already generated by the housing bond that we voted for a year and a half ago. It's clearly another throw money at the problem situation without a, a any lot of money, any real movement. Really, one of the UCLA professors, uh, emeritus of law, Gary Blasey was spoken to uh, about this, and he was talking about being skeptical, saying that if Garcetti truly wants to create effective shelters, you got to address the needs of the homeless people, not those of neighbors wanting them off the street. And he said something to the effect of, uh, you know what, it may not have been him. It may have been somebody else they talked to because he sounds like his bent is the whole, uh, you know, you're, you're too worried about people saying not in my neighborhood. Oh, are you talking about the map of Skid Row? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That was that was also a guy from guy. UCLA, but his name is Bill Parent. Okay, good. I'm glad I didn't attribute that to the other guy. He, he said, if Garcetti runs for president, you can imagine the commercials that they'll show in Iowa or New Hampshire. And by the time the primary is over. People in Iowa and New Hampshire are going to be able to draw maps of Skid Row. And that's exactly right. I mean, that hit me this morning. I'm reading that as a big bomb. You know, it's true. If Garcetti's going to run for president in the next year, he's got some real cleaning up to do now. You know, because because that will be what what the what the primary ads are all about. Oh, really? Garcetti's really doing a great job in L.A. And then they just so block after block after row after row after row of. All of these tent cities. I wonder what this, how this would even play in a presidential election. Let's imagine, let's say he's successful. Temporarily, he's successful. He sets up temporary shelters and he gets, I don't know, 50% of the homeless people off the streets and into these temporary shelters. As we've seen time and time again, it doesn't work on a permanent basis. That's hence the word temporary. But let's say he can clean it up just enough for the just at the right time at just the right time also if he got 50% of skid row cleared he could run on that okay but again all he's doing is clearing that street and for, moving the problem yeah, somewhere but, else but, uh, and until the the next time the uh, census is done about how many of those people move back to the street but could that all be cleared up in the course of the presidential election yeah i i don't know i mean I the know. the other the other uh issue about homelessness or the other benchmark i think that comes up is the olympics 
is when we talk about the Olympics and trying to clean this place up for the Olympics because we're obviously under an international spotlight, that makes sense to me. That makes more sense to me in that we want to put on a good face for the rest of the world. But nobody will see Skid Grid when they're watching the Olympics. It's well, not, not Staples, here they won't. It's at... Not not in other places either. But, the but, reporters that go to the Olympics, the international reporting, the press corps isn't going to go down to Skid Row to do n- stories on it. Maybe not. But look at how we handle the stories. I mean, we, when when we talk about oh, you mean most like of our, Rio are post game, but Rio is an example. <laughs> yeah. But most of them are. But post-game. that's because the at, athletes were swimming in the poop water. Right. They were actually in the feces foam. Well, the marathon may run right through Skid Row. I don't think so. I think, think purposefully. So? You think they would do it on the L.A. Marathon route and go yeah. from Dodger Stadium I to Santa Monica? I think Skid Row will be hidden. Because when you look at the overall scheme of L.A., it's not that big. But if you know L.A. as well as, as we do, you know that it has grown exponentially over the past even six, seven, eight well, years. And that's because we don't, outside of these other international cities, Rio is a fantastic example when you compare it to L.A. Rio has legit slums. I mean where poverty is just endemic and you cannot go into certain neighborhoods because law enforcement can't go in there, uh, drugs, prostitution, sex, disease. I mean, all of these things, not sex in general is a bad thing, but you know what I'm saying, sex trafficking, it, it is is just problematic in these slums. We don't have that as much. So our slum is sort of a manufactured thing in that what used to be a perfectly fine neighborhood South of downtown, southeast of downtown, has turned into this thing. You know, that by day smells funny and by night is just full of people who have nowhere else to go or choose to go nowhere else. But they don't have, but it's not separated from the rest of downtown, the suburbs, and then the slums like Rio might have. So you've, I mean, you've, they have to deal with it somehow. They have to, they have to see it. Somehow, listen. I, I hope Garcetti uh, achieves what he wants to achieve in terms of making real change happen with the homelessness issue. Uh, and and if if the added bonus for him is it helps him in whatever presidential campaign he may run, fine. As long as there's real change. But if it is just a shell game, uh, that's going to be exposed. Yeah, he's he's taking a gamble here. I think. All right, uh, we'll do trending when we come back. We also have stories about uh, Montecito in the 1 o'clock hour. We're going to get an update on the Southwest Airlines plane that had an engine blowout and actually half sucked a woman out of the plane before they were able to pull her back in. We'll talk all about that still to come on the Gary and Shannon Show. If you missed our interview with former FBI Director James Comey, you can catch it coming up in about a half an hour. We'll replay that. Got some answers out of him that we haven't heard yet in the media blitz to sell his book. I don't know why we have to explain that. We don't. But it's fine. Why didn't you ask him about the... Because it's in the book. My job is... I know that he's selling a book. My job is not to sell his book for him and lead him with a question where he can go... Well, you can find out in Chapter 10. Right. No, no. My job is to ask him the questions that uh, he's not been asked yet or uh, questions that would not appear in the book. All right. Well, you know, I just have one question for you. Yeah, what? What else is going on? Time for What's Happening. What's Happening? 
Well, Southwest Airlines has dominated the news today because of the flight from LaGuardia to Dallas that had to make an emergency landing in Philadelphia when there was some jet engine failure on one of the uh, jet engines of this uh, Southwest plane. Part of the engine broke off, hit one of the windows, shatters the window, and a woman is partially sucked out of the plane. Yeah. Don't know if the plane was at altitude, but hell, it was at a level where this could do some real damage. In fact, uh, this passenger is in critical condition. There are seven more people have, who had minor injuries. But after this happened, I mean, it was the masks down. Uh, very scary time as that plane made its way to Philadelphia. This was almost uh, Southwest put out a statement that just says we're aware the flight was um, diverted. We're in the process of transporting customers and crew. The aircraft has 143 customers, five crew members, which they almost had to change to 142 and a half customers. No, because if that you can't do that joke. Because if that woman, Mm-mm. I mean, any part of arm, head, arms and head, arms and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes, anything hanging out of that plane at speed like that, you're you're. It's incredibly damaging to a human body. I don't understand how she survived, let alone the fact that she's in critical condition. They said there were no hydraulics for the plane to land. And so the the pilot had to land the plane manually. The old-fashioned way, Dagnabbit. Good. They trained for that. That's ex- this Except is ex- if you work for Korean Air. <laughs> That's not true. We too uh, low. But they do... Um, they do train for all of these types of things massive or not massive what did they call it what kind of depressurization violent depressurization something of that rapid aggressive depressurization. Rapid, yeah i don't know uh starbucks also in the news two of our favorites southwest starbucks starbucks is going to close all its stores nationwide for uh, racial bias education on the afternoon of may 29th they said that they have uh, nearly 175,000 employees around the country and that this new racial bias education will become part of the <clears throat> I, I'm reading from the Starbucks website here. It will become part of the onboarding process for new partners. Onboarding. Uh, the CEO, Kevin Johnson, says, quote, I've spent the last few days in Philadelphia with my leadership team listening to the community, learning what we did wrong and the steps we need to take to fix it. That was in response to two men who were arrested because they would not leave a store in Philadelphia, even though they're there waiting for a guy who did show up before the uh, before they were let off in handcuffs. He did show up to, I don't know, vouch for them and say, yeah, I'm here to meet with these two guys. The two guys that were arrested there in Philadelphia happened to be black. There was another video that showed up in the last 24 hours or so from an incident that took place in January in Torrance where a black man went into a Starbucks in Torrance, asked for the code to use the bathroom and was told he had to buy something, so he gets in line. And then according to him, a white guy walks up to the counter, makes the same request, gets the code, and goes into the bathroom. So... Tax day today. We got a midnight, uh, midnight tax day deadline looking at us. Well, isn't it nice? The IRS's page for paying your tax bill via your bank account crashed today. Which means you don't have to pay? No, that is not what it means. But you know what? There will be people that say that. The IRS's direct pay page went down. It was unavailable. It's one of those things like 
This would be like it's uh, one of the oldest systems, I believe. They're running like the uh, Windows three point one. Right. I I would imagine this would be like NORAD's Santa Tracker going down on Christmas Eve. Yes. There's one day. One day that this is important. Well, you can pay your bill on this page anytime. I know, but, but if today you're gonna, is its big day. You know that today is the big day. Can I track Santa right now to see where is he? Like you track your wife? I'm just curious I if it if it shows it. where he is in the North Pole. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he sleeps a lot in the spring, like a bear hibernating. Uh, it does. You can look for him. Where is he? But he's in the. He's. In, oh, look at the North Pole. It's so big. There's so yeah. many villages. There's, there's a lot that. going on in the North Pole right now. Look at the reindeer. Okay. Did you see this sketch? By the way, we got to post this up because it's fantastic. The sketch that Stormy Daniels and her attorney put together. Did of I? The. It's a good-looking man. Of the guy who supposedly approached her in Vegas seven years ago and told her to leave Trump alone and forget the story. It'd be a shame if something happened to her mom, in speaking, I guess, to Stormy's baby at that time, then infant daughter. Um, As far as the sketch itself, according to Stormy, the guy, the mystery man, is somewhere between 5'9 and 6, 6 feet tall, but lean but fit. TMZ points out there's a, a couple of different people that he resembles. Tom Brady is one of them. He does bear he does, a resemblance uh, look to Tom a bit Brady. Like Tom Brady. He also looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger's son, son with by the, the maid. maid, Patty Baena, that dressed like the pirate. Remember that picture? Yes. Like the first picture that made its way around the world when the news hit was a picture of her on Halloween dressed as one of those uh, slutty pirates. Like, you can't do better do, than that. Do you worry? I mean, I, I don't do know. Do I worry? No, no. <laughs> oh, yes, I do. I mean, in the event that something happened to either one of us, either to put us. That like a slutty 22-year-old Halloween night costume gets leaked? <laughs> yes. Of the probably thousands and thousands of pictures of you. Right. From all different events, life experiences, right. vacations, I remember that Halloween. Who were you? Super, was... super girl. Oh, but not cape. super girl. You no, were like I was. I had slutty a slutty super girl. I, yeah. Well, it involved a black mini skirt and and boots, and then just like a super girl shirt with a cape. Man, you were desperate. What are you talking about? Sad story. Also, that you have to make do with what you have when you're 22. Harry Anderson died. Not everybody. Judge was... Harry Anderson. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Not the bailiff. No, from Night Court. Yeah, yeah. Judge. I yeah. think Richard Mole played the yeah. played the bailiff. Uh, Bull, the best actor. Uh, I'm sorry, the actor best known for his role as the judge in Night Court died at the age of 65. They found him unfortunately in his home inside. No signs of foul play or anything, but they haven't said exactly what it was that um, that killed him. He played Harry Stone, Judge Harry Stone, uh, on Night Court in the 80s and 90s. All right. Uh, when we come back, Swamp Watch. We're going to tell you how things. No. When we come back at the bottom, we're going to replay for you our interview with the former director of the FBI, James Comey. Who could possibly us be earlier calling today. you right now? Why aren't they listening to the show? Uh, it's probably the guys from SolarMax that tell me a thumbs up. Everything's ready to go. Time to flip my switch and power up my new panels. That was totally unintentional, too. You didn't even know I was going to say that. I didn't. Uh, when we come back, though, we're going to talk about the, uh, the mudslide in Montecito and maybe get an update on what's going on with the NTSB as well. They're talking in Washington, D.C. about that Southwest Airlines 
explosion. The engine exploded on the plane. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Yeah. Your chance to win $1,000 coming up. Brought to you by Cunning Dental. You need dental implants, an engine blow up in your mouth, call Cunning Dental for a free exam. 888-640-SMILE. You got to stop with the jokes with the with the engine. Why? No one died. Mm. I don't want to know, no, no, no. Who's taking you home, 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 home. And loving you so, 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 so. The way I used to love you, no, I don't want to know. We'll get to the story about the Montecito mudslides and still foaming through some of the wreckage from that disaster. But first, we have $1,000 to give away. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword bank to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's bank to 200-200. Answer that phone, even if it's from a number that you don't recognize, because if you win, they'll call you to let you know that you won. Another chance to win an hour from now and all the way through the John and Ken Show. In fact, all the way through 7 o'clock tonight, we're giving away $1,000 an hour. It was January 9th that the mudslides up there in Montecito, Santa Barbara County, Ventura County, uh, struck with a force that no one saw coming, taking homes off their foundations, sweeping families, vehicles, everything out to sea, basically, very quickly in the middle of the night, killing 21 people, uh, nearly wiping Montecito off the map. Well... People who were affected, people who lost homes, uh, lost vehicles, they're still looking for and finding things that they lost in this deep and now hard, huge amount of sludge. There is a Facebook page called Montecito Disaster Lost and Found, and people are finding some hope in, in in this page. It was... Started up a couple days after the mudslides, and it has connected hundreds of lost items with their owners. Uh, Family photo albums, wedding veils. There was a 400-pound hippo statue that was found. This is amazing. It's, I don't know if heartbreaking is the right word. It's, It's interesting to look at this stuff knowing that this is stuff that has just shown up. I mean, after three months now, after this disaster that people continue to sift through this stuff, and they know that somebody wants this, and they know that it's important. There's a couple in here, like a, there's a doll that someone had grabbed and washed it up completely, like completely wa- It's all covered in mud, the eyes broken and everything like that. Uh, and then what they did was they posted a picture of the day they found it, and then after it was completely cleaned, all the mud taken out of the the, the little doll's hair, the outfit is completely washed, et cetera. Well, and it makes you realize what was lost when you think about items like that doll, right? Because when you think about mudslides, you think about homes and, and it's terrible and the des- devastation, but you don't think about those little items in your home, right? Well, yeah, I, I even, my family went through a flood 30 plus years ago. And even though we lost some things to damage, we still had the things like my my parents old high school yearbooks, for example, they still had them. Yes, some of them were caked in mud. It was, you know, you, you were never going to be able to open every single page anymore, but they still had those things. And if they needed to, could get them processed or pay to have somebody restore them or whatever. But you still had them. 
In this case, it's one of those things where the stuff is just swept away and you don't know where it goes. Last week, a woman named Sarah was walking along a trail in Montecito. She was with her kids and she sees this this zipped up bag and it's covered in mud and there's a little bit of a lace sticking out. So she picks it up and she looks and oh, there's a wedding veil and what appears to be the underskirt of a wedding dress. She posts that on the Facebook page. Two days later, a woman by the name of Karen McDonald says, huh, those are mine. Karen McDonald's entire house was swept away. You know, it's been three months since that happened, and the wedding veil turns up, the wedding veil that she wore at her wedding 35 years ago. Some of these are pretty tough. Uh, You know, goofy things like cell phones or baseball cards or Hot Wheels cars. There's a whole bag of Hot Wheels cars that somebody found. I think my brother still has his Hot Wheels cars. Do you still have yours? Uh, I have some, yes. They're at my parents' house. I don't have them. My son has a bunch. Yeah. Um, the ones so that you didn't, didn't throw away. Did you let your son play with your Matchbox cars? Or yeah. you kept those separate? Whenever he would go, <laughs> yes. There was clearly, mine's were more 30 years old, old by the time yeah, yeah, he yeah. got them. Um, but, but look at these these, these pictures that are covered in mud, the photo out, al- full photo albums that were covered in mud and swept out of people's houses showing up a mile away from their home. Still unclaimed things include NFL helmets, uh, World War II canteen, a trumpet, an <laughs> intact teacup, and a wedding photo from the early 90s. Yeah, these are all really amazing, amazing pictures. Again, it's the Montecito Disaster Lost and Found page on Facebook, which is an example. Listen. Uh, last week we made so much fun of of robot Mark Zuckerberg and his dumb testimony before Congress, where he looked like a complete automaton. But this is uh, this is one of the things that we can take some sort of positivity from when it comes to Facebook. It's it's bringing together a people who had to go through just horrific disaster. A reminder in all of this. In all of the things that have been found and restored and returned to their owners, there are still the bodies of two children that are somewhere there. Whether they are in the mud, uh, the bodies have been swept out to sea is a possibility, but they were never found. And for you know as much stuff as other people are going to be able to get back, those are a couple of families that will never be able to, to close that chapter. The NTSB is on its way to Philadelphia. Just held a press conference saying that they see three to four engine failures like the one we saw today with that Southwest flight from LaGuardia to Dallas. It had to stop in Philly because of an engine failure. Some of the shrapnel there hit the uh, hit one of the windows. A woman was sucked out. Now we're we're hearing that she did die. Uh, seven more had minor injuries. So we'll stay on top of that. But coming up next, our interview with former FBI Director James Comey. Gary and Channel will continue it. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM six forty. More stimulating talk. Well. We spoke earlier, got a chance to speak with former FBI director James Comey. Everybody's been pouring over not just the transcript from the interview that you did with George Stephanopoulos, but with other interviews that you've done. And I'm going to start with this question, and it's from one of our co- uh, cohorts here on the, on the station. If you had not been fired by President Trump as the director of the FBI, would you still be in that position today? 
Yes, I expect so. I intended to serve for another six years. I especially thought it was important that I stay for the, his four years, first term as president. Because if you had been taking notes with, uh, on your interactions with the president at the White House, uh, phone calls, any conversations that you had, did you have concerns about him as president? Yes, I was concerned that he might not tell the truth if it ever became an issue about some of our encounters, which is why I wrote down what he said and what I said in a number of those encounters and safeguarded copies of those things. So, yes, but if I hadn't been fired, I didn't expect to be fired. I was in the great city of Los Angeles, as you may know, and, and was shocked that I was fired. I thought, I'm in charge of the Russia investigation, even though my relationship with the president is not going to be a good one. I'm going to stay as FBI director. And then I was fired. It was a lengthy interview you did with George Stephanopoulos, uh, five and a half hours or so. And, of course, all the media outlets yesterday were rushing to take the five best takeaways. And I saw a number of them that started with this takeaway. It was your impression of the president upon your first meeting, president-elect at that time. And it, it wasn't the substance of the conversation that was the first takeaway. It was your description of him, uh, the tie too long, uh, orange tinge, you know, the, the, the 80s and 90s jokes about the Donald Trump that we, we have all heard. And it kind of it let me down a little bit because as FBI director, I just figured you to be above those kinds of, of descriptions. And I know when you're writing a book, it's very important to, to create a word picture and, and take people into the room with you. Were you upset that that was one of the main takeaways, the top? five takeaways of the interview was your description of him yeah not upset frustrated because it just tells me folks haven't read the book yet if they read the book they'll see i'm trying to be an author i've never been that before i'm trying to take the reader with me and so i describe in another scene barack obama as much skinnier than i expected i'm not attacking or making fun of barack obama that's the way donald trump's face and skin and hair look to me i'm not trying to make fun of him i'm not even trying to make fun of his hands which were above average in size and so i'm not i'm trying to paint a picture and if and if folks read the book which i really hope they will they'll discover two things the book's not about donald trump and second that kind of detail is offered in the stories throughout uh, the book the stories i use to try and illustrate what good leadership should be and what i've learned about it from other people you just said that the book is not about Donald Trump. How would you like this book to be described? It's a book about ethical leadership. And I hope very much, and I think it will be, that it will be useful to people, especially young people, to teachers and to parents, because everybody is in charge of somebody else, whether you're a parent or a boss. You need a picture of how you make hard decisions and what you should think about as you make hard decisions. And so I hope this book will be useful long beyond Donald Trump's presidency. He's in the book because I can't tell stories about ethical leadership without him because he illustrates it in a in kind of a reverse way. But he's in three chapters of the 14. And so I hope people will see it years from now as a book about ethical leadership that includes Barack Obama, George W. Bush, Hillary Clinton, Uh, Donald Trump, Martha Stewart, and lots of other things. One of the moments that I like is when you are uh, obviously a man of incredible powers, director of the FBI, but you're sitting with the president-elect, who is a man of also incredible power, and he is asking for your loyalty. And I think we've all had... Uh, encounters in our lives where we've been in a, a power struggle situation where somebody's asking for something and, and you don't want to you don't want to give anything right and, and you wrote in the book about how you told yourself internally don't say a word don't make a move uh, just just 
just don't give in to anything in this moment. Yeah, he was president then. That was uh, the end of his first week as president. We had that dinner that surprised me that it was us just one-on-one. And I was shocked by the express demand for loyalty. And so I couldn't think of anything to do other than just freeze. Don't even blink. Just stare at him. And then eventually he looked down, and I think we were on the shrimp scampi at that point, and then he moved on and came back to it later. Uh, outside of James Comey, uh, I would be hard-pressed for, or I think a lot of people would be hard-pressed to name any other director of the FBI, uh, at least in the last 40 or 50 years. But because it's one of those jobs where you're outside of politics for the most part, you're not involved in the day-to-day uh, Washington swamp that that it sort of encircles what you do and it seems in the last say two years you've had everyone in washington washington pissed off at you at one time or another is that a badge of honor or is that a sense of a source of frustration for you probably neither just because to be in the fbi you have to accept that you're going to be dragged into the middle of all kinds of difficult things I would have much rather Hillary Clinton never have had a personal email server. It would have been great if Anthony Weiner had never had a laptop. But but we were stuck in the middle of these things. And I knew, actually at the time, I figured half the political spectrum would be pissed at us. I had no idea that I could piss off both parts of the political spectrum. But we knew we were stuck in the middle of situations where there was no good answer. There's only bad and worse. And so as between bad and worse, you got to choose bad, knowing that you're going to get hammered for it. And as strange as it sounds, that's kind of freeing. As my deputy director said when the Hillary Clinton email investigation came in, he looked at me and said, you know you're totally screwed, right? And I smiled and said, yep, nobody gets out alive. But that's just the nature of the FBI. I used to tell the organization, look, we play our games on national television, and people are going to throw rocks at us. Okay, just know that and know that your commitment has to be to something higher than that. You can't care what the political people are going to say about you. Uh, along those lines, in reference to the Clinton email server, you told George Stephanopoulos that um, anybody who's actually done investigations knows that if you've been investigating something for almost a year and you don't have a general sense of where it's likely to end up, you should be fired because you're incompetent. A lot of people have been pointing to that comment and saying that is an argument in favor of firing the special counsel in this uh, in the Russia investigation. I don't know why it would be. I mean, you, you don't necessarily share it with the world. I didn't share it with the world, the sense that I had. But if I'm an investigator like on, on Director Mueller's team, I probably have a good sense after a year as to where this is likely headed. I don't know what that is because we're on the outside and there are zero leaks out of the special prosecutor's operation. But, yeah, I would expect every prosecutor has done this kind of work or investigator knows after a year of investigation, you know where it's going to head. It might head someplace else and your mind is open to that. But you're a dummy if you don't have a general sense of where it's headed. About those lengthy investigations and the rocks that people are wanting to throw at the FBI. uh, We have done that on this show. Uh, I know I have. Uh, When you look at the case of the the Pulse nightclub shooter, Mm -hmm. the FBI investigated him for 10 months, I believe, at one time. Uh, There were two tips that came into FBI centers about the shooter in Florida, the school shooter. I don't like to name names. Uh, There was the man that killed eight people in Fort Lauderdale, the airport, two months before. He walked into an FBI office in Alaska with a loaded gun magazine reporting that he was having terrorist thoughts. Uh, These three cases, and I know that there are more 
were not stopped. And some have said that they were preventable because the FBI was on notice. Uh, is that unfair criticism? I don't think so in general. I mean, each of the cases will turn out to be different, but I, and sometimes the facts aren't from the, in, in the inside what people think they are, but the criticism is legitimate and reasonable. And I used to say that to the FBI workforce. Look, we have to be perfect. We run down literally tens of thousands of tips a year. That's a lot. Okay, we're a big organization. We have a huge burden, but we also have a sworn duty to the American people to try to be perfect. And where we're not, it's okay to criticize, and we should be criticized. And most of all, we should internalize that criticism and say, okay, so how can I be better? What did I miss? How could I be better? And, and you know, the, the Charleston Church shooting is an example that you didn't mention. But that was an example where the FBI made a mistake. And as because of that mistake, that killer, and I agree with you, I don't name these, these savages' names, that killer got a gun he shouldn't have gotten. That's incredibly painful. But there's two things we needed to do in the wake of that. Be transparent. Tell the American people, look, here's what we did. Here's how we screwed up. And then figure out, so how does that never happen again? So to answer your question, your criticism is totally appropriate and actually makes us healthier. All right. Well, uh, former director uh, James Comey, we appreciate your time today. I know you have a, a million and a half of these things to do over the next couple of days. Well, it's a pleasure. It's a great conversation. Thanks for your questions. More Swamp Watch when we come back to Gary and Shannon. I'm watching me. Shannon, 1.30 in a little bit. Neil Savage was going to join us for Tasty Tuesday. Talking wine and cheese balls. You know who makes an, a phenomenal cheese ball? My mom. No, Well, she may. Okay. I've never had that cheese ball. Good answer. Steve Gregory makes an incredible cheese ball. He used to come over when he was uh, living here full time. He'd come over and bring us his cheese ball. It's on, big. Uh, it is big. On Christmas Eve, he'd come over. We'd get Chinese food. We'd, we'd dig into one of Steve Gregory's cheese balls, and it was a crowd pleaser. Chinese food It fed and everyone. That sounds like bad decisions I made when I was in college. Chinese food and cheese balls? I wear underwear. You, you don't open have up, them together. You, you open you up the start, fridge, you, and that's all you have. You, know, you start with a, the cheese ball, you know, and maybe some wine. And then you move into the dinner. And maybe some wine. I like that. Well, it's either yeah, wine or it? Steve likes a bourbon. Oh, I see. You know? I don't know if I'd want cheese balls and bourbon. I mean, bourbon with anything, but uh, who's calling me now? I don't understand why people... Is that $1,000? No, I don't... Because answer it if it's a number you don't know. I don't think so. Um, all right. So, in terms of uh, what's going on in Washington, D.C., there was quite an interesting development out of the Supreme Court. And I'm not talking about Sonia Sotomayor busting her shoulder. Neil Gorsuch, the Supreme Court appointee, the most recent appointee to the Supreme Court, was the one who cast a deciding vote in a decision that was released that sided with an immigrant fighting for his deport, uh, fighting his deportation, I should say. He sided, Neil Gorsuch, sided with the four liberal justices in favor of James Garcia de Maya. Now, this is a guy from here in California who, after his second first-degree burglary conviction, the government came in and said, we need to get you all out of here. You can't do this over and over again. The Justice Department was arguing that the first-degree uh, first burglary conviction constituted a crime of violence. That's important. 
Crime we, of violence makes deportation a virtual certainty. Right. All right. It, it would be an aggravated felony that would result in deportation under the Immigration Nationality Act. But the court decided today, written in this opinion by Justice Elena Kagan, the court decided that the definition of a crime of violence was too vague. So Neil Gorsuch um, Neil Gorsuch chimed in on that and said vague laws invite arbitrary power. That before the American Revolution, for example, the crime of treason in English law was so capaciously True. construed that the mere expression of disfavored opinions could invite transportation or death. It's an interesting way to look at it. But, but again, it's one of the unusual times when one – um, one Supreme Court justice of one ideology or the other switches sides and, and kind of decides with the rest. And this was the justice who was appointed by President Trump, right. siding with the liberal justices on uh, Trump's signature issue on the other side. Uh, all right. The other thing is that President Trump is right now hosting Prime Minister Shinzo Abe down at Mar-a-Lago in Florida, talking about a lot of stuff. But I think this is most importantly... This is setting the table for upcoming talks with North Korea. This is going to be one of the main issues that they talk about for the next couple of hours and days, trying to figure out exactly what's going to happen when President Trump sits down, I don't know, face-to-face. I mean, still have the details to work out, but sits down with the the uh, leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, whatever it looks like. So um, we're going to make sure that we have the uh, the interview with James Comey, by the way, up on the website. Is that right? Can I say that? Yes. Uh, so that you can go back and listen to it. Um, it was questions that you're n- hopefully not going to hear asked of him. And we didn't want there to be a bunch of questions that are already in the book that he's pitching. I mean, right. he's going to make plenty of money. He doesn't need our help pitching his book. I just had one question that I didn't get to. And it was that I know that his daughters, his wife voted for Hillary Clinton, were supporters. If they still speak to him, because there are a number of people in the Hillary camp <laughs> That are still very frustrated because number of polls research came back showing that when he brought that investigation back into the public eye, uh, just a few that, days that the really election. hurt her. Yeah. It really hurt her. So he also said that he didn't vote, which I thought was he said on uh, in his yeah. interview with Stephanopoulos, Stephanopoulos, he didn't vote in the election. And I understand his reasoning. He said, you know, it's I'm the director of the FBI. I have to be nonpolitical. So me expressing support one way or the other is not I don't I don't agree with that. You know, I don't I, have a problem with him voting for one person or the other in an election. Yeah, I have I mean, a problem that's, with that's him. kind of your duty as an American. Yeah. Doesn't that come first? I would have a problem with you campaigning on behalf of that person. Right. You and I have talked about it, how we don't get involved in political campaigns. We don't contribute to to politicians for one reason, because of what we do. Um, But that doesn't mean you don't vote. I mean, that's your duty as an American. Well, and and part of it is because we're going to be, well, I don't know if we're going to be always, but we're going to be critical of politicians, period. Whichever side of the, you know, if they deserve it, we're going to be critical of them. Or, I guess, laud them for... Things that they do that are positive, although that's more few and far between. We are hearing more information about that Southwest jet that had to make an emergency landing in Philadelphia. Uh, it was flying at 30,000 feet when that uh, jet engine blew. We're going to get all the details coming up next. Gary and Channel will continue after this.
things that I've noticed from the video that has leaked out from that Southwest flight. Uh, there was a guy by the name of Marty Martinez that took video as the plane was making its emergency landing still high above the cloud cover there with the masks all out of the compartments. One of the things that struck me with this video, it's about a minute long, is the silence. You can't hear people freaking out, not saying anything. They seem very calm. Ter- I don't get it. We've talked about this before. You're not a very good flyer. Um, I think I'm relatively calm, but in an instance like that, I don't understand how anybody's calm. Even if you feel like, I, uh, oh, you know, it's no big know. deal. It's not I a- can't even... I can't even put myself in those shoes. Uh, Alex Stone flies a lot as well. Alex, this um, this is just a terrifying story. Yeah, it is. And as we're learning more about this now, uh, guys, we find out what was going on on board. We know the, the one woman was killed. We've got multiple sources who are telling us now uh, in Philadelphia that uh, she was sitting next to the window. The, the engine exploded. A piece of the engine hit that window, and then everything came in on her. It may have been the, the engine piece. It may have been the window, but that she got uh, killed there. There have been some witnesses who say then she was partially sucked out of the plane. You can imagine the size of a, a window that her head would fit through there, but not her body. She may have had a, the seatbelt on as well, but just horrific. The fire chief, the fire commissioner in Philadelphia, saying that the passengers on board did amazing things that we are going to find out about. Uh, he says that uh, it was about saving themselves. It was about trying to save that woman to make sure that that they would get on the ground and, and that uh, they did everything that they could do. The pilots up front, they uh, pulled off some miracles as well. It's uh, one pilot of a 737 telling us that these pilots had to deal with three things immediately that they had to make sure they did perfectly. All things that they simulate in the the simulators, but not normally all three at the exact same time. One, that they had this unprecedented engine failure that they had to deal with, but uh, they had uh, the engine loss, so they had the power situation. You have to keep the plane up in the air. They had lost 50% of their power right then. Then they had the structural damage uh, happening at the same time. You had holes in the plane that if you were to overstress the plane, you could break it apart. They had to be very careful in how they were operating that aircraft at the time with multiple holes in the fuselage and a window blown out. And then they had the rapid depressurization. They had to get that plane down quickly. Some of the passengers said they thought that uh, control had been uh, lost uh, of the plane. Likely that was the pilots getting the plane below 14,000 feet. They have four minutes to do that before people are going to begin having uh, problems at altitude, even though they've got the oxygen masks on, that not being able to, to breathe, the ears popping, eardrums going, that that they then could have brain damage and other things if not enough oxygen. They've got to get that plane down. They were at over 32,000 feet. A couple of minutes later, they were at 10,000 feet. They put that thing into a very quick descent and got it down. That's incredible. And when you think about that, you have a loud noise, whatever that is, you know, the explosion of the engine failing and breaking apart in in pieces, you've got that startling enough. Then immediately after that, you've got the violent depressurization of the plane, and that could be super loud as well, and sustained noise. And then the pilots have to figure out, like you said, what's going on and react to it, which in this case was put the nose down and get down into a lower altitude. All, I mean, you combine those three things happening to you within seconds 
and not having any real ability to, for yourself to discern what's going on. How these people are conscious at that point, I don't know. They seem so yeah. calm. Yeah, and the one who was uh, on Facebook Live the best he could from the Wi-Fi on board that, uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to, to get my fingers to work on my iPhone to, to pull up uh, the, the camera and hold it in front of me without you know, dropping it. You'd be shaking. You'd be... And I think we've all been on flights, at least many of us have, where there have been problems. And you want to be told what's going on. Yes. You want, you want to know. Yes. These pilots didn't have time, no. most likely in this case, to get on the PA if the PA even worked any longer, to say, here's what we're doing. So in your mind, and there was one post from the the man who put up that Facebook Live video where he wrote, we're going down. They probably thought they were going to die at that moment. The plane has just ripped open. They were going down very steeply, and nobody could describe to them what was going on. Some of the passengers on board say that the flight attendants, understandably, were crying and very emotional. They don't know either. They're not pilots. You know, they they fly a lot, but they're not pilots, and and they are going through the same things that everybody else is going through. That initially this came in as a relatively minor incident, and then as we found out more about it, it's incredible what they they did go through. The thing that we're going to really focus on now moving forward, and the NTSB is as well, of is there an issue with these engines? Southwest uses uh, an engine called a CFM-56 on this type of plane, the 737-700. They've had this problem before uh, in 2016. Over the Gulf of Mexico, an engine exploded. It was also the left engine. The the fuselage had damage. The cabin depressurized. Uh, Nobody was seriously injured in that case, but it was very similar. In that case, the NTSB said the fan blades in the engine had fatigue, that they're made of titanium alloy and copper nickel alloy, and that they had fatigue in them. So now this question, the, the engines that they use, CFM International makes them. That's a, it's a joint venture between a, a, the U.S. company, GE Aviation, and a French company. Uh, is there an issue with these engines? Is it a maintenance issue? Are these not connected at all? But the NTSB and FAA very quickly and Southwest are going to have to look at this and say, okay, is there a connection between these two incidents? Uh, are they connected? And they may not be. But if there is, then, then something may have to be done. Not all airlines use this engine. Airlines can choose which engine they use. This is the engine Southwest uses, and there might be a connection between the two incidents. I don't know if you know this, but where was the plane in relation to Philadelphia, to the to the the, the airport that it had to emergency land at? Did it require, uh, you know, w- w- was it close enough to where that was the only option? I mean, I don't know. Was it a dramatic turn? Did they, was it was like a sharp well, they had, to, they had to divert a bit, but they had, yeah, New York isn't that far away. So they had gotten up and gotten altitude uh, fairly quickly, and then the explosion happened, and then they, they quickly got down from there. A pilot always has the, the airport where they can divert to, and, and they, they always know where they can go if the worst were to happen in that moment. You know, sometimes you wonder, what are they doing up there? Well, they know exactly where they're going to divert in that moment if they, they have a problem. Philadelphia, luckily was right there. You have a major international airport with long runways that they know that they're going to be able to, whatever their situation is, get it down onto a runway and that they'll have enough space and they'll have the resources to come out and and deal with that that issue. They didn't have to evacuate via the slides. They brought stairs up, which you can imagine the the weight for passengers. They, They got down on the ground. They've got a hole in the plane. They've had the masks on. You've got a passenger who's critically injured at that time. She hadn't yet died. Uh, and you probably just want to get off that plane and pop those doors and get out. But they didn't, and uh, they, they ended up getting off via the air stairs. Yeah, I'd be 
freaking out that something else was going to explode. We would, have, we would have had to carry her off the plane. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't. I think would have passed out. You know, my husband always says to me to make me feel better. You know, honey, these planes can fly with one engine. And they did. Today's a perfect example yep. of that. They they can and they they do. Uh, but and they practice it. Yeah, and, and that's and Southwest. You know, not an endorsement here, but they've got some of the the best pilots out there, and many of them are ex military. And you know, this is what they they do, and uh, and they did today. And uh, these these pilots, no doubt, are going to have incredible stories to tell as well. The NTSB is right now sending what they call a go team from Washington. Shouldn't take them very long to get there. They're going to begin investigating. They've already secured the the flight data and, and flight voice recorders. They'll listen in on those and figure out what was going on in, in the cockpit. You know, engines do fail, and it does happen relatively – not not relatively often, but it does happen from time to time. Oftentimes on takeoff, that's the most taxing time, as you can imagine, as they're putting – they're spooling up those engines to the, the highest uh, – they're probably going to go in that flight. Uh, and But there's, they're made to be contained when they fail into the outer casing of that engine. The NTSB says it doesn't know yet if it can actually classify this as an uncontained engine failure, but it sure looks like it. The, the engine blew apart. It's not supposed to do that. If the engine fails, it's supposed to stay within itself and not just completely come apart. This has holes in the wing. They had a fuel leak when they landed because the fuel is in the wings. Uh, so it, it breached the wing. It, it hit multiple uh, places on the, the aircraft, plus on the fuselage, plus the, the window. Those windows are thick, and it broke right through that window and, and hit the woman sitting there. Alex, thank you. Thanks, guys. Alex Stone there with the latest. Again, this uh, Southwest flight had to divert to Philadelphia after part of the engine blew up, and it turns out that a woman who was uh, partially sucked out of the airplane ended up dying at the hospital after they landed. All right, your chance to win $1,000 coming up brought to you by Cunning Dental. If you need dental implants, you can call Cunning Dental for a free exam. 888-640-SMILE. Gary and Shannon will continue. Terrifying. I'm thinking life's too short, it's passing by. So if I'm going to go it all, go big or go home. Go big or go home. Gary and Shannon. Have we told people about the pet raccoon yet? No, we have not, as a matter of fact. You want to give away the money first? Let's, do that. Let's give away $1,000 right here. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200. Answer that phone, darn it. If you win, they will uh, let you know by phone. But if uh, you don't answer, they're going to give their $1,000, your $1,000 away to somebody else. You know, uh, Joyce and Artesia, Suzanne and Lancaster, yeah. Muriel and Upland. All of those people. If you know any of these people, now is the time to ask them for money because <laughs> hey, they just want $1,000. Before the end of the show as well, we also have uh, tickets to tonight's Kings game. The last Kings game of the season? No, we don't know that for sure. No. But tonight's Kings game uh, against the... Las Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, I like their uniforms. That's all. Uh, but anyway, we'll tell you how you're going to win those uh, those tickets to the Kings game for tonight. I think it's a four-pack. Right. Is it a family fun four-pack? Does it say how many, guys? Two. two just oh, two. It's a two-family yeah. fun pack. So apparently, Blake and Nick are taking the other two. So we have two tickets to give Great away. Great news talk. To the, uh, to the Kings game a little bit later. All right. Indianapolis, we go. Firefighters at Wayne Township Station 82 open the door early Friday morning, and they see 
a request for help in front of their eyes. What is it? It's a frantic woman. Why, you say, is this news? Because the baby in her arms is lethargic. My baby is lethargic. Well, define baby. Baby, meaning an, a raccoon. Yeah, it was a it was a baby pet raccoon. The baby pet raccoon was high. Okay. The baby pet pet raccoon <laughs> uh, smoked too much weed. Uh, no, or I, ate too much. I find weed. it hard to believe that the, the raccoon is hey, smoking weed. I have a question weed. for you. Yes. Uh, you know, one of our engineers, Bert, has a squirrel. Yeah. Named Velcro. Right. Do no. You- I don't think that he gets Velcro high. No, that's not where I was going. What were you going to say? Do you think he would take in a raccoon? Oh, yeah. Sure. Okay. They're all rodents. Or is it a marsupial? No, it's a rodent. No, it's not a marsupial. Okay. Um, But the raccoon... Okay, listen. (laughs) Firefighters at Fort Wayne Township Station 82 opened the door and found this woman distressed because her pet raccoon was stoned off too much weed. Time out. Pause right there. Before you get anywhere else into the story. It wasn't her weed. It, all right? <laughs> it was like in every drug story, it was someone else. Those are not my pants. Uh, there was a story that you missed while you were deep in Thailand. Uh, a woman who had cocaine in her in her purse that she said had blown in there because it was a windy day. Lindsay Lowen used the those are not my pants when she got caught one um, of the times. The raccoon was very lethargic, but I'm still I'm still trying to wrap my head around mm-hmm. a, a professional firefighter mm-hmm. slash paramedic answering the door to a woman who's frantically complaining that her her raccoon was stoned. Now, well, if you saw that, would you would you, of... would you think, oh, you're right, that raccoon is stoned or oh, ma'am. We need to sit you down. And get I would your glass tell of her water. very kindly that the best course of action would be for the raccoon to sleep it off. Like there's nothing that you can do now. As the firefighters dug into the situation, they thought, well, well, they deduced maybe it's not pot. It could be meth. It could be heroin. And there was a decision made that. If the if the firefighters took the raccoon to the hospital, that he would be shot up with the Narcan. They showed that the police department got involved because at first they were discussing basically just the argument of what what would a raccoon get high on? Oh, they could get high on a bunch of stuff. weed, meth, heroin, whatever it was. Ultimately, the owners took the animal home to sleep off the high. Oh, and so they they took my advice. According to the Wayne Township Fire Department Public Information Officer, Captain Michael Pruitt, who will never in his life issue a press release like this again, said, we hope that everything worked out with the raccoon. We'd be, ha- we'd be sad to hear that it didn't. Something gives me a sneaking suspicion that a woman who drags her half- sleepy, super high raccoon to a fire station is probably going to have contact with law enforcement or paramedics at some point in the near future once again. And I don't know if necessarily the raccoon would be involved this time. Should we name the raccoon? We could. Blake, quick gas go around. Oh, boy. So we're talking about a raccoon in Indianapolis. Hi.
high on maybe weed, meth, or heroin. Got it. Blake. I'm like an Albert. Albert? Does Albert get high, though? Ooh, it's a good one. Mm. I don't know any Indian Alberts, so I'm not really sure. All right. Nicholas? Rusty. (laughs) I like it. Oh, I would have to go with Gavin. After Gavin Newsom? Because he used to get high. I didn't say that. You said Gavin. All right. You? I'll go with Unitas. I think it's weird that we all assume that it's a male raccoon. Oh, my gosh. You're right. That was super sexist. Super sexist. Alberta. Good one. All right. (laughs) We come back. Tasty Tuesday with Neil Saavedra. We come back. We'll talk about World Malbec Day. And National Cheese Ball Day. Mm, That's a good day. And I'll go down my list of top five cheeses. I promise not to include Jesus Christ in there. Gary Channel will continue right after this. Yes. Don't shake your head at me. This is radio. Hey, Gary. Yes. Oh, I know what you're saying now. What are your favorite Uh, cheeses? Oh, well, I like that. And I like the orange kind. And I like the white kind. If you're oppressed. Number one, my number one favorite kind of cheeses. Jesus Christ. I see what... Now I know why you gave me the bad look. Bad look a few minutes ago. Yeah, you kind of... uh, I blew the joke earlier. I gave away the punchline. Yep. It's all right, though. You want to try again? No. No. The third time may not help that. I'm going to miss you guys in, in heaven. (laughs) <laughs> Wait, what did I say that was wrong? No, now, nothing. Right this second, nothing. Neil Savage has joined us. We're going to give away uh, some first, some Kings tickets. So we have two tickets to tonight's L.A. Kings playoff hockey match. Match? Who am I? Tonight's playoff hockey game. A hockey contest well, tonight? Okay. It's break, going to be a Las big Vegas contest. Well, before the break, you said you liked their uh, uniforms. Oh, man. I apologize for me. Accepted. Two They'll tickets. be knocking that flat ball around the whole time. So tonight's... It's not too late to just rewind. We can start the whole segment. <laughs> tonight's <laughs> Kings game at home at Staples Center. Game four tonight. Uh, we have, of course, single group, uh, single game, group ticket special suites still available. LAKings.com slash playoffs. But we have two tickets to the sixth caller. 1-800-520-1534. It's 800-5201-KFI. Yeah, it's time to call. Come on, it's time time to call. call. Let's call. Yeah. Enjoy the game. Go, 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 go. (laughs) Going to be quite a contest. In that vein, let's talk about wine and cheese, shall we? That's such a great idea. Today. What a perfect diet that is, wine and cheese. Today's National Cheese Ball Day. I celebrate it. Yes, I, I, I celebrate it most days. So it's National Cheese Ball Day, which is quite specific. Nielski. Yeah, it's not <laughs> just cheese. This is, here's a question for you. I yes. don't think you were listening earlier. One person around here mm-hmm. in the KFI family who makes an excellent cheese ball. I'll give you two guesses. <laughs> what would be your first guess? I don't know. Amy King. I don't know. Maybe she does, but well, that's not who okay, I was thinking then, of. Then I could be right. One more guess. KFI family expert cheese ball maker. I don't, you? No. Oh, I wear uh, underwear. Steve Gregory makes oh, wow. a phenomenal never, cheese ball. I have never had Steve Gregory's cheese ball. 
Yeah, it's incredible. It's, I'm going to take your this word. Big. Fake balls. Whoa. And wow, that's that's like a softball. That's nice. It's a big. It's like a bocce ball. Yeah, a little kinky, but I like it. That is, that is uh, good to know. A lot of nuts on the outside. Yep, crushed nuts. Heck of a ride. Hmm. It's good to be back. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Anywho. Yeah, what's going on with cheese, cheese balls? The cheese ball. And I just love it. It's not even like like National Cheese Day. It's National Cheese Ball. It's not only the food product, but the shape right. that we're celebrating. Right. So there is I've I've said this many times on your program. For some reason, there is a tie to one particular president all the time. Who is it? I've said this many times on the air. Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, I so, love these stories. So this is part of a myth, okay, this or a legend, as it were. Elisha Brown, Jr., uh, a farmer, pressed a huge 1,200-plus-pound cheese ball on his farm back in 1810 and presented it to then-president Thomas Jefferson. That's that's like the origin. That's the believed origin of the cheese ball. Mm. You don't hear anything else about the cheese ball until 1944. That's <laughs> so, because everyone, as a collective nation, we were embarrassed yeah, that it, someone put a 1,200-pound cheese ball on the lawn of the White House. Well, you know where they're not like, embarrassed well, to make cheese balls and craft them in their home? Hmm. Minnesota. I guess. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. The Midwest, they don't hide their cheese there. They celebrate it. They hold their cheese high. Cheese ball hit peak popularity in uh, 50s, 60s, 70s. I mean, it was... It was it was the party food. Oh, yeah. Not? Everywhere. I remember them as a kid. Yeah. Any soiree you went to had one of those things, and uh, then you would see them at the holidays like or whatnot. fondue. Yeah, it was one of those things. But I don't even remember fondue as much as I do that that the iconic cheese ball, cheese ball yeah. Yeah. sitting in the middle of the plate. And it lasts forever. I mean, you can put that thing out in the morning, well, and people are still picking at it at 3 p.m. Well, that's the weird thing is Uh-oh. they were... <laughs> <laughs> they were made prior. I mean, they uh, you had to create them prior, so yeah. you kind of check that off your list. So a lot of the, the people that were doing the party, holding the party, were like, okay, that's done. Mm-hmm. But you, it's really a combination of a, a couple – a base cheese, which is a soft cheese, like uh, a, a, you know, a cheese spread or something like that in there, or your cream cheese, things like that. Cream cheese shouldn't stay out. For longer than about two hours. And you are a stickler with the these food grated safety. cheese, however, can last about four hours. So you've got two different cheeses mm-hmm. that have two different times that are okay to be out that you but they would just be there forever. Like people Like Steve Gregory when he would bring his cheese ball over, we'd maybe get we maybe kill a fourth of it. You know, and leave it out for a while and then we'd wrap it up, put it in the fridge and take it back out. I mean yeah, we but- celebrated the, the cheese But you'd wrap it up. Uh, we've yeah. gone through many times the questionable food safety practices in my family. That's a morning through midnight snack on the table. That's kind of college mentality. Like in college, if you had a pizza the night before mm-hmm. and you didn't go to sleep, that's like one sitting. So even though it was 24 hours, it's you're like, that, yeah. One yeah, it was only one sitting, so it should be fine. But technically, it's 24 hours. So it went through a, a lot of different uh, you know, ups and downs. But after the 70s, it sort of became 
seen as like lowbrow cuisine. And think about the term cheese ball. The, the term cheese ball actually describes something that's lacking in taste, style, originality. And it, it that comes from the fact that the cheese ball lost favor. At I always point. use cheese ball as somebody who's cheesy. Like, ah, oh, you're such a cheese ball. Actually, the term cheesy, it, it comes from a different origin. That actually is doesn't mean cheese I think that originally. Ev- it actually comes from a, a mistranslation of a different word. I believe that uh, anything called cheese or cheese-oriented, cheese ball, cheesy, whatever, should be describing something wonderful because that's what cheese is. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, you'd never say, that guy's so pizza because pizza's awesome. That would work, too. No, why not? Yeah, that that guy is so that guy is so pizza y. Can we go down my list of top five cheeses? <laughs> cheddar, cheddar, sure. cheddar. Yeah. Kind of. Well, we'll do that when we come back. Okay. Uh, my nice top five cheese. cheese. Keep them hanging. Uh, Shannon's wine pairing with my top five cheese. We'll just do those off the top of our head. Sure. Because I know you're a wine connoisseur. You have some stacked up, ready to go. Sure. She actually put the sewer in wine connoisseur. Neil Savedra has joined us. Our that one reporter. needs some more work. No. I should have sat on there that. There are people dying right now. Really? Yes, they are they laughing. Are. They are dying. Go ahead and tweet it out there how hilarious that was. There are people dying right now. That is true. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, I mean, if you saw this story, there's a... Weird one developing here locally that several bodies have been found in a car here in Burbank on Varney Street, which runs right next to, it looks like runs right next to I-5. What, what's the story? Several bodies found in a car? Three bodies found in a car on Varney Street. In Burbank? Yeah, that's, that's not far insane. from here. No, just on the other side of the highway, freeway, that is. So, that's a weird one. That's. But haven't we had like a handful of those? There was a family that was found in a van or something. Yeah, but that was just uh, an accident. I mean, it was a carbon, carbon monoxide, monoxide yeah. Which, but I th- guess then there this was another. Be, but I thought there was another one that was uh, discovered. They're saying it prompted. It was uh, prompting a homicide investigation. So you know, it could be maybe obvious signs of foul play, possibly. I just got back from New York, and there was uh, a dismembered body found, like the oh. first day out there in one of the parks. So you did have an alibi or not? You're you're saying you just arrived in town, so there's no way you could have done it. Cheese balls were very popular in the 50s, 60s, mm. and 70s. <laughs> yes, they were. Um, top choice of the cheeses. Cheese, cheese choices. My top five. <laughs> Are you drinking? Top, Gary, hear ye, hear ye. Gary's top choices of the five cheeses. All right, I'm just going to throw these out there because you haven't seen this list yet. I have not. Okay, so I'm going to tell. I'm going to just. Is it a guarded from, from list? Five to one. He's my very favorite cheeses. With his Shannon list. is going to pair them with a good wine. Ready? Number five, cheddar. Chardonnay. Okay. Uh, number four, market pantry American singles. Chardonnay. Number three, sharp cheddar. Chardonnay. Number two, white cheddar. Unoaked. Chardonnay. Ooh. And number one, my favorite cheese, extra sharp cheddar. Oh, you have to go with Chardonnay. Okay, just checking. I kind of know what it feels like now to be a 
cop pulling Shannon over on a Saturday. <laughs> Can I see your license and registration? Chardonnay. <laughs> and where were you going tonight? Chardonnay. And how fast do you think you were driving? An oak Chardonnay. <laughs> Ma'am, step out of the car. I'm going to a baseball game. <laughs> that was one cider. Uh, yeah, that it only that takes one. Chardonnay. Chardon B. Chardon C. Along with it being uh, World Cheese Ball oh Day, my God. it is also World Malbec Day. Fun to say. Malbec. What makes Malbec different than all other nights? You know, <laughs> all other wines. I mean, why is why is my, I got my Passover wine mixed okay. up? Okay, uh, it's uh, known for its fruity notes. It was something that almost went not extinct, but it it started. It was very difficult. It was in France. Uh, this grape did not do well with uh, certain disease and temperatures and climates. So what ends up happening in the 1800s is you have an Argentinian president saying i was was just gonna say all the good malbec is from argentina yeah so basically that is one of the main regions that have it although there are other regions that have it now i'm not a big fan of it it always makes me kind of like it's too tardy almost it has it has a uh, kind of a smoky tobacco-y finish maybe sometimes but the tannins maybe are what you're feeling on the side of your you get them right there in your jawline you know where the tannins hit me yeah on the side of the tongue right there where we all want to hit you, right smack in that smug little. Anyways, you also have. Uh... I don't know. I don't know what's going on with him today. What? I'm. I'm. I'm just happy Is it to be you back. Because you missed me. Yeah. Yeah. I missed you. Uh, so you get like a blackberry, a plum, you get very fruity. Uh, actually, depending on its climate, if you're in the cooler climate, if it comes from a cooler climate. It's uh, more on the black cherry, raspberry. Spectrum on black the, like your heart. Yes, so the warmer climate, uh, plum and uh, blackberry notes as well. Are you a big wine guy? No, I enjoy uh, wine. I have, I have a very small wine cellar in my basement, and it's maybe thirty bottles. I don't have a whole lot, but I uh, have a little refrigerator section for about six whites. He's not into wine, but he has a wine cellar. Well, well it's a small. It's small. I mean, it's not like a cellar cellar. Just, it's just a. I w- don't even say that you're a wine guy. Then say that you treat your wine well. I try to. I mean, I give it a quarter turn, and I go down there and make sure that it's. You talk to it. You play music for it and stuff like that. Yeah. So. You give it lotion. Chardonnay. <laughs> Chardonnay. <laughs> um, but the uh, I, I if I'm going to have it, I like to only have. You know, fairly decent stuff. You know, I, I got a brother who really loves it, who I, I have a distinct memory of when I was single and younger going to his staying at his house. And he goes, oh, yeah. And if you're going to have guests, go ahead and uh, 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 grab a bottle of wine. Just don't grab anything on this rack because yeah. that's 500 or well, I'm like, everyone <laughs> has like a wine uh, atrocity story. Yeah, yeah. I remember one time we were with friends at the San Diego Zoo. And they're big. Uh, it was for one of those like wine nights at the oh, zoo. I, going, going, I spent. A I good... was like, "Why are you drinking at the zoo?" Yeah, hey, like, hey, monkey, Chardonnay, Chardonnay. So they have these like <laughs> zoo wine nights, or whatever. I've spent, I think, probably forty-five minutes talking to a single koala at, at that night. But anyway, we go back to the hotel, and our friends, this other couple, they they just they're known to buy ridiculously great wine. Um, why I would never spend this kind of money on wine that they do. But 
the guy brings down from their room, and we had already had an evening, okay? This is not time to so break out the good not, stuff. You're not tasting the difference now between the Bud Light no. and the, the yeah. wedding at Cana. He like, brings yeah, down the good stuff out at the end. a bottle of 2004 Reserve Isosceles from Justin, if you know the area. It's up near your parents, sure. Paso. Justin's great wines. The Isosceles is their signature amazing wine. And a, a Reserve bottle of Isosceles will cost you I don't even know. More than $100. And this was a 2004, which was a particularly good vintage. And I saw the bottle and just said, no, don't open it. You know, his wife had already fallen down and she was bleeding on her ankle. Like, that's where the night was. <laughs> the so you dove Guys, this to is get where him. the night was. Did you knock and it out of his he, hands? No, he oh. opened it and we drank it out of, like, paper water cups from the lobby. <laughs> it was a total travesty. That's horrible. I don't even remember tasting it. Like, I don't, you know, you didn't know what, anything from anything else at that point. It was the most expensive vomit I've ever it was, had. No, not to that level, but it was the most expensive wine I've ever had, and you couldn't really enjoy it. That's well, I'll tell you as far as Malbec goes, food, uh, bison, ostrich, venison, any of the lean meats, it goes very well with um, spices, herbies, smoky flavors, parsley, cumin, those types of things, as far as cheeses, look for funky, uh, semi-firm cows, goat milk cheese, things like that. Like an extra sharp cheddar. Thanks, Neil. Chardonnay. <laughs> Chardonnay. Gary and Shannon will come back that was uh, funny. tomorrow. Oh, well, thank you for your that was approval. Good. John and Ken coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Oh. oh. Gary and Shannon. He's giving it the big build up there, and he did not deliver at all. What a shame. Nobody wants to see that.